All right, we are live. Hello, John Meldrum. Hello. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I am really excited about this podcast. I say that every time. Um, in fact, one of the questions I ask, I always ask people to if they want to no send anonymous questions. They can. And one of the first questions I got was from a past guest who will remain nameless, who asked who my favorite guest ever has been. And it's just so unfair. I'll just say you, sir, you're the one. But no, I, I actually, every time I do one of these, I feel like it's a it's the best one I've done because I'm getting better at it. My guests are super interesting and I have fun learning about people. And yours was actually super interesting to me because you actually reached out to me and kind of suggested that you would like to have come on come on the podcast and i don't know i mean we've known each other tangentially just through like byu management society and running in the same circles as both being members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints but i didn't really know anything about your story and so i go yeah sure so like what topics do you want to talk about and you were like, well, you know, uh, I had a faith crisis. And, and in my head, I was like, well, I did a faith crisis one. Okay. And, and you're like, and I'm divorced. And I go, okay. So I, that's actually something that's that I, I am interested in hearing more about is blended families within the church. I was like, okay. And then you were like, and I experienced same gender attraction. And I was like, go on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you, and then, and then you, tell me more. Then, yeah. And then, and then you were like, you know, and I'm a videographer and, and you get whatever the things and I go, okay, hold on a second. So I remember saying like, do your, did your faith crisis and your divorce have anything to do with your, your same gender attraction? And you confirmed it did. And then you, and then you also confirmed that you are still a member and you are remarried to another woman. And at that point I was like, this is going to be a good one. I got lots of questions and I'm sure a lot of other people would too. And so I'm really excited that you are, um, I, I recognize how vulnerable it must be to come on a podcast that is going to be public and share a story like that, especially being, you, you're a lifelong member of the church. Yes, sir. Born and raised. Okay. So I got to imagine you've, you've experienced some things that the quote unquote rank and file or normal member doesn't go through. So I, I recognize now that I've done a few of these, that this is a, a vulnerable experience for you. And I appreciate you coming on and, and being willing to share with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad to be here. Um, so I want to start with because it was actually we had a really interesting interaction just a, a day or two ago. I, I, I sent you the I always send out, like I said, a, a precursor of who's the next guest. And then I uh, and then I solicit anonymous questions and. I sent it to you for more so just to make sure I had the story accurately. And there was one, and I said, just let me know if this is accurate and you're okay with it going out like this. And, and there was one area that you had um, a bit of an issue with. And the, the issue that you had was, there was one point I said that you were, you went on a mission, you were married in the temple, but that you were gay. And you said, I would prefer rather than being called gay, being called or say that I experienced same gender attraction. And after a little bit of questioning back and forth, we decided to keep it as that you're gay. Um, and then that we would talk about that when you came on the podcast. And so I, I the, the first question I have out the gate is what is it about being considered gay that, that you, you prefer to not be, I guess, uh, 
Well, maybe a better way to ask it is, do you not identify as being gay? That's actually a really great question, Josh. Um, there's, there's a lot that goes with that. Um, labels are really powerful. And I think that when we choose to align with a certain label, that it can kind of transform our own thinking. And it also sends a message to people around us. And so I, I don't personally have a problem with the word. It doesn't bother me personally. Um, if if I, someone says, are you gay? I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem, move on. Um, but it kind of depends on who I'm with, who I'm talking to. Like if I'm in a church setting, I probably use the term, you know, same sex attraction or same gender attraction. Uh, it's a little bit more more sanitized, you know, not as ab abrupt or maybe I'm saving people's feelings. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, but then the other side of it is that I feel like sometimes like I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, I'm gay because I kind of forget <laughs> because I, oh. I, I there's another word out there that sometimes gets thrown around in my social circles called straight faking. Um, where you, you present yourself to the world, you know, in a very heterosexual way, you know, like most people who know me, they would never guess that I, I experienced uh, same sex attraction or, or are gay because I, I just don't present myself to that. And so it can be kind of shocking to people. Um, but uh, I, I think that probably my biggest issue is, is that when we use labels, it kind of kind of gives people the excuse to put you in a box. And I don't like to be put in a box. You know, I would rather somebody sit down and really get to know me and hear my story, which is what we're doing today, um, and kind of dive a little bit deeper. I'm like, okay, well, what is he, Is you know, what is it? Is he is he gay? Is he straight? Is he bi? Is he SSA? And honestly, that's, that's a really kind of tough question and I don't really have all the answers, but here here's probably the closest thing I can, I can probably divulge to people is I have a physical attraction to men, but I have more of a mental, emotional, kind of spiritual attraction to my wife. So uh, I, there, there's a word that I've, I've studied up on that's kind of close. It's called a demisexual, and that's where you are, you're attracted to somebody based on their personality. Mm. Um, and so personalities are really, really, really important to me. Have connection is another word. So having really strong connection. Uh, and that's what I really align with the most if we're, if we're going to use labels and words, but again, gay SSA by those, they're just words, they're labels and they, they kind of help people understand who I am. Um, but at the end of the day, who I, who I really am, it's like, I'm a child of God. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I am a believer. Uh, I'm a man of faith. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, my my same sex attraction it's just just one part of me and it, it doesn't define who I am it doesn't I don't filter my life through uh, through everything through that um, I but I by I embrace it and I accept that it's part of who I am which took a lot of time and a lot of self introspection to do that yeah well I, I have a few things that I wanted to bring up on that you know what you just said there's there's so much that I could <laughs> so many roads I could go oh, down yeah. with what you just lots said. of different <laughs> the, so so the first thing I, I wanted to ask just I'm trying to go through this chronologically with what you said mm -hmm. does it ever get kind of tiring like you mentioned you mentioned well sometimes I I'm trying to you know kind of save somebody else's feelings does, does it ever get tiring having to kind of 
dance around it like that? I think so. Um, I think in the beginning, it was really, really hard for me to talk about it. But the more I do, uh, and the less I care what other people think, I just throw it out there. Um, I chose to come out to my congregation or ward, for those of you who, who are familiar with uh, LDS circles. I came out to my ward, and uh, I, I did talk to my bishop beforehand. And not that I necessarily needed his permission, but I was asked to give uh, a talk um, in front of my church. And, you know, out of respect for him, I was like, hey, you know, this is something that's important to me, and would it be okay if I just mention it? And he did. He, he supported it. Um, and, uh, I can't believe just the overwhelming love and support that people, they came up to me and shook my hand and gave me a hug and just said, Hey, we love you. You know, we recognize that was tough to do and, and you did it. So I think the culture is shifting and people are being more accepting, uh, so that way people like me have the opportunity to come out in a safe way and have it be a positive experience and, and not a mm. negative one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. The other question I had on this was you mentioned, well, I have a few, but one was, did you mentioned you are physically attracted to men, but more, more emotionally and spiritually connected to your wife. So, two questions come out of that one mm -hmm. has it always been that way for you where you felt more emotionally attracted to women in general and the other question is is uh do do you are you physically attracted to women yeah that's a great question um I think throughout my lifetime, it's it's been a journey. I, I I look at sexuality as a spectrum. I don't look at it as black and white. It's really multi-layered, messy, and like you I mean think of when you were a teenager and your body was going through all these changes, and you're like, "Whoa, why did that?" You know, give me those feelings. Like, uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> they just right. happen. Um, right. So navigating that is really, really, really tough. Um, but to, to answer your question very simply, yeah, I'm attracted to my wife. I mean, we have a kid together, so <laughs> clearly yeah. Yeah. that, that it's worked out. <laughs> it was it's working. working. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so luckily in the uh, sexual intimacy department, that is something that I've been able to be okay with. And that has worked for me. I mean, I, I physically have three biological children. Um, from two two separate relationships, so so that's not in for me personally uh, a problem. And I just want to say really quick that my journey, really quick, it doesn't represent everybody. Everybody on the LGBTQ plus spectrum has their own story and has their own journey. And I've actually um, I, I'm part of something called North Star. And uh, North Star is a nonprofit that seeks to align members of the LGBTQ community with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a support system for them. And I say I was very fortunate to find them, and I've, I've I've befriended a lot of other married men who are just like me, exact same situation in a lot of ways. And some of them, they struggle with the intimacy part. It takes a lot for them to be physically intimate with their wife, and they struggle. And uh, you know, we we have our our, you know, discussions together and, and, uh, I, I feel for them, but, uh, luckily that's not something that has uh, an issue that I've had to deal with. Hmm. 
So you mentioned the spectrum and I just want to make sure I understand because I'm just I'm I'm still learning this stuff. And I think a lot of people are. And, and I've heard the spectrum idea. So when you say it's a spectrum, I mean, are we talking about just a straight line like on one end, there's heterosexuality on another end. There's, uh, uh, you know, there's there's gay or homosexuality and then there's like bisexual somewhere in the middle and then they can go across the spectrum. Or is it is it different? Is it not just a straight line? Oh, it's it's messy. It's all over the place, and it's it's like every day is different. Like some days, I'm just like, well, that guy's pretty good looking, you know. It'll catch my eye, you know. It'll cross my mind, you know. And then other days, doesn't even doesn't even register, you know. So every day is just woo, woo, woo up and down, <laughs> wow. all over the place. So that's why I don't put too much stock in it. And, I, and that's why I'm like, okay, am I, you know, am I, am I faking it? Like, is this real? Like I've had to navigate those feelings and kind of, kind of what I've landed on is this idea that I deep down have a strong desire for male connection. And, um, unfortunately during my kind of dark years of destruction that I would seek out uh, connection with men through engaging in sexual behavior that wasn't healthy. Um, just going around and doing things uh, I probably shouldn't be doing. Mm. And uh, without getting too <laughs> into too yeah. gory deals, details, <laughs> but... Uh, um, well, we, we want all the specifics here, John Meldrum. That's what kind of podcast <laughs> this is. No, well, no I, yeah. I, get, I get what you're saying. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we can get into that more. But basically, uh, post-divorce, you know, I had to know for myself, like, hey, is this the path I'm supposed to go down? Am I supposed to be with a man? Am I supposed mm. to you know, engage in that lifestyle. And I did, I really tried. Like I, I was, you know, meeting them and dating them and going out to clubs and just trying. But it was weird because like, I felt like I was too, too holy to be part of that world. But then when I came back to church, I felt like I was too worldly to be part of the church. So I was in this weird in between kind of awkward situation trying to figure it all out. So I did that for about three years until I uh, kind of got tired of guys because the the biggest hurdle that yeah, they suck they really do that is <laughs> men a, are, <laughs> I would say I would say being tired of men would be a serious problem to being gay yes <laughs> in the sense that right right but more in the sense that I had two children and like I I grew up in a religious you know monogamous, uh, environment. That's what I was taught. That's what I, that's what I believed in. That's what I was looking for. And to find that in the LGBTQ community, for me, it was a challenge. I couldn't find that. You know, the minute people knew that I was religious or I had kids, it's like, nah, I just want to hit it and quit it. That was what they were looking for. And uh -huh. I was looking for something long-term. And so I was tired of kind of playing games. And so I went back to dating women. And I was really hard. <laughs> kind of switching gears. Um, and the couple of, first couple of days were awkward. But then I met my wife on the, uh, the dating app called Mutual, if, for uh -huh. those of you who have ever used it before. Um, and we both swiped right. And uh, it was funny because our fourth text message conversation, I said, oh, by the way, you know, I've played for the other team, just so you know. <laughs> like, wow. All cards on the table. And I'll never forget her response. She was like, well, at least you didn't abandon your children. Yeah. Well, that's, and I was just like, phew, mind blown. I'm like, okay, I guess this there's 
something to this. This girl didn't just write me off. Uh, now, but funny enough, she had um, she kind of had her her wild streak too. She she was raised in the, in the church, but she stopped going to church for ten years, and she definitely lived a very, lived a very worldly lifestyle and had been with you know some. Uh, some men and some previous relationships. So she was very, very understanding and very um, non-judgmental. So I appreciated yeah. that. Well, there's. Uh, I want to back up a little bit to some of the stuff, and uh, and perhaps this would also, after I ask these questions, it'd be a good time to kind of go back and see if we can cr chronologically go. Yeah, through yeah, this. But, for sure. But but one, the first thing I want to ask is, or mention is, you know, that feeling you have of, well, I'm a little too worldly here, and I'm a little too holy there. I mean, I, you know, I'm not. Uh, I, I have not experienced anything similar to what you've experienced. Um, but I have experienced a situation where I have felt like I didn't really fit. You mentioned boxes before. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I've always felt is because my family is very non-traditional Mormon. I mean, they, my dad is a, my dad is a Jew and he converted and my grandma on my mother's side was Catholic. All of my, all other than my immediate family, none of my other family really is, has a, even a, even a link to the church, you know? And so, um, and, and I like, you know, I've always been rough and tumble. I've always been, you know, kind of a wrestler and loved hard rock music and lots of fight sports and things like that. Always loved off color humor. So I always felt like same thing. Like I was almost like too conservative for my worldly friends, but also a little too, uh, hard rock for my Mormon friends, you know? So I mm -hmm. think that that's something that a lot of people feel. And, and, and one thing a friend of mine said, who actually is a transgendered wrestler who I've had on the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, she said to me, uh, she goes, you know, uh, if you don't fit in anyone's box, create your own box that other people can fit into. And it sounds like that's what you found and you and, and the people at North Star are doing that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I, uh, I have, I'll never forget. I went to one of the North Star conferences and Jared Halverson, he's got this really great podcast. It's called Unshaken Saints. And uh, he basically talked about like finding the grace between two, um, two, 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 two contrasts. I, I'm butchering it, but essentially mm -hmm. that Okay. Do you remember the 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 story of Jesus Christ um, and the woman taken in adultery? Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that story is he points out that Jesus never condemned her, nor did he condone her behavior. So mm -hmm. go back and read that story. So he never condemned her, and he never condoned her. He he was able to find the grace, the the in between of two impossible situations where you have the law of Moses and then you have, well, you know, justice and mercy, these two conflicting ideals. Uh, and I'm sure as, you know, an attorney, you, you always have to look for those, you know, those little silver linings. Yeah. But, uh, sure. but I'll never forget that because the, basically he's, he said that the, there's two extremes or, or two polar opposites points, but there, there is a place in the middle and that's where you are. And it's like, yes, I, I can identify with that. And, uh, and ever since then I've, I've been able to, like you were saying, create that box and be happy to, to be in that box and, and not try too hard to conform to any one ideal or lifestyle. I'm just going to be me and, and love me for who I am and, and everyone else can, 
just kick rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it's got to be. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of members and uh, uh, I talk to a lot of people who they struggle sometimes with faith. Uh, what what has normally been called a faith crisis, but I think that's changing more to like a faith journey, like you're referring mm-hmm. to it. And and um, but yeah, a lot of the times it, it's it seems as though people struggle because of other people. And I just go like, yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I've never really had. It, it's frustrating. Sure, people are judgmental, and you get that in any religion, any group yeah. of people. There's a lot of gossip and a lot of. You know, people being holier than thou and, you know, sticking the finger at someone else's eye, you know, or in, in face when they got three other fingers point, pointing back at them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but anyhow, uh, going off back to the, the chronology, so so you're, you're a lifelong member. When do you start noticing that, uh, you know, you're experiencing things a little differently than maybe some of your other member friends? Yeah, that's a great question. I was looking back on it. I was in severe denial. Like I can remember some of my er earliest homoerotic experiences was, uh, I think, as early as like middle school, like just having looking at my my male gym teachers differently. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, there's there's something there, you know. Mm and uh, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but those were kind of like my first kind of thoughts and experiences of it. But I never really considered myself gay because that went against with my beliefs and what I, I was sure. taught. So what do I do? <laughs> bury it. Just bury it, you know? Like, oh, that's not me. That's not who I am, you know? Uh, and, and then uh, sadly, you know, when when other young boys who actually had the, the courage to come out at, during those awful teenage years, you know, I, I didn't join in the teasing but i didn't do much to defend them either now, is this, um, and, real quick sorry to interrupt is this like mid to late 90s so i my high school years were from 2002 to 2006. okay so, so you're a little you're a little bit past me i graduated in 99 and yeah i can tell you in the mid mm-hmm. mid to late 90s like whoo oh boy you know, yeah yeah oh man time. If if you if your peers your male peers said oh you're gay or did it, you know anything that was considered you know queer uh, you were just branded and you were ostracized it was bad whether you were or not you know you just didn't want to be you know called that because you know it's just social suicide so you just you keep that on lock and you don't say anything to anybody um, and especially if you're like like you you said you mentioned it, uh, earlier you had the kind of the wrestler build I was skinny I was just a skinny twig kid I was more of like the I was a cross-country runner soccer uh basketball kid that was more my Mm. my body type so that was the sports i did (laughs) yeah wow so so you start feeling this in middle school you're kind of putting it away um Mm -hmm. was there a time in your in your high school years where you just kind of started struggling with this or that you that you're kind of having a bit of cognitive dissonance if you will on this yeah there was an incident that happened i won't go into details in case this person's listening but you know i had i had some exploratory experiences that i was like mm, i should probably come forward and tell priesthood authority about and let me tell you there is nothing more awkward than talking about sexual behaviors with 
adult men that aren't in your family. Um, mm. That that could be a whole another topic we can talk about. But it's oh, it's yeah. extremely intimidating and very uncomfortable. And uh, luckily, church policy has changed quite a bit nowadays where parents can either be a part of that discussion or there's some alternative things in the handbook that, that can happen. But back when I was a kid, you know, my, my dad was the bishop. Oh, whew, that was that was tough. I, I didn't go to him. I, I skipped him. I went straight to the stake president because I wasn't right. going to say anything to my dad. No sure. way, man. Right. How was that? How was that met with at that time? Um, it was met with concern and love, and my sick president was really great, and he wasn't concerned about me, and it, it did not disqualify me from serving a full time two year mission. So we kind of saw the beginning stages of. Um, of a shift in attitude towards people who experience uh, same-sex attraction and, and kind of the, the attitude was starting to improve and get better. The, the mm. embers were there. The, the work in the, uh, you know, the previous decades, the work had been done to the point where by the 2000s and definitely into the 2010s, like there was a lot more support, understanding uh, for people who experience same-sex attraction. Yeah. Now, how old were you when this was going on? Like, you still in high school? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, experimentation, and you know, that was all just in high school. And when you're talking about experimentation, I mean, you and just a friend are like, next thing you know, something weird, like, you know, kid for you happens, and you're, you know, kind of, kind of <laughs> the same thing that all of us had. <laughs> okay, like. Most of us probably had a situation or two when you were dating somebody that, you know, got a little, yeah, yeah. Th got, a little got a little handsy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Th things escalate. Yeah. And uh, yeah. like before you know it, you're like, oh, why did I do that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably shouldn't have done that. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I won't get into. No. Yeah. And I don't want details. I just what I'm yeah. saying is, is, is so, it's, uh, you know, something happened with with a guy and you went and told your your stake president and it sounds like yeah, your stake president exactly. your stake president was, was uh showed Christ like love to you. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why for me I was able to emotionally heal from that, compartmentalize that, stick it in a box, stick it on the shelf and then not revisit that box for years. So mm. So, but but during that time when you're not, you stuck it in this box and kind of bury it. I mean, mm -hmm. are you still experiencing same gender attraction? Are you still looking at guys and finding them attractive? And oh, every so, day. Oh yeah. And and so when now in this same time frame, are you receiving some sort of attraction to females as well? Yeah, I I think so. I think. Um... A lot of my upbringing and just having really positive experiences with females. And I mean, I have three older sisters. I've got three older brothers. So, you know, I have a lot of experience with both genders uh, in, ter in terms of just, um, you know, like, like relationships. Like I know how to talk to, to men. I know how to talk to women. So girls didn't scare me and I enjoyed going on dates with them. In fact, I was 
kind of Mr. Popular in some ways. I, I would go to all the church dances. Uh, I went on lots of dates with girls, lots of group dates, and I enjoyed myself. And I had no problem like going on dates with with women, and that was the expectation. And the church encouraged it, so it was kind of it was a great time for me. Um, I never had those feelings of like, oh, I'm just. I hate this. Da, da, da. No, I I loved it. Like it was, I was definitely in my element. So so that wasn't a, an issue for me. And and you were, I mean, did you have girlfriends? Were you? Was there people that you were emotionally attracted to and you wanted to hang on to for times? Yeah, yeah. I actually did have a girlfriend in high school. Uh, I had some girls that I dated, but probably I wouldn't consider her a girlfriend because we weren't exclusive. Like we didn't sure. like DTR determine the relationship, you yeah, know? Yeah. Or it's like, oh, you're man. you. <laughs> I, I got to tell you my, a lot of the time, this is going to sound so terrible, but back when, you know, the DTR, the define the relationship talk for a long time, as soon as that talk came, I was like, oh, well, we're defining it as we're not having a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> the DTR kills uh, it, man. The DTR uh, kills it. It does. It kills it does. the relationship. As soon as you have that, so where is this mm -hmm. going conversation? You're like, oh, mm -hmm. here we go. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. So, so you're, so you're mm -hmm. dating, you're dating girls. And um, now, now, let me ask you, the, you, the experimentation part does mm -hmm. this happen more than once and if so is there like a specific time frame or was it like there was a little little time frame and you put it in a box and it didn't happen again for years is what it sounded like but are we talking yeah. about a a year or two where you're kind of experimenting with this or is it like there was a couple instances and i was like i gotta put that away yeah, it was just a one-time thing. It was kind of like huh. I kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, ooh, where did this come from? Uh, this probably isn't a good thing. <laughs> so yeah. I, I hit the brakes on that real fast and then put it in a box, put it on the shelf, and just pretend it didn't happen. And okay. just kept lying to myself for many years. Wow. <laughs> Not unpack <Yeah>. that box. <laughs> so, so then after that happens and you're starting to f find um... – men men attractive you're not thinking maybe i'm gay when this is going yeah um i like i said i had a lot of self deception i just lied to myself a lot like those thoughts were just so deep and buried in my subconscious um that it never <clears throat> i never really stopped and and entertain the idea that oh i might be gay i just i never even let my brain go there so mm -hmm. i definitely kept myself in a bubble and unfortunately um whether that was because of external forces doing it to me or i was just so scared and i was doing it to myself whatever the case is it wasn't healthy i wasn't addressing my emotional <clears throat> uh, needs in a healthy way and uh, as you're going to see as we go through the chronology, how it blew up in my face in a really big way. Yeah, um, so, so, well, that's, yeah, we'll get there. But I, I want to ask a couple more questions here. So one of the, sure. one, there's probably somebody out there, and, and you can tell me if you think this is true or not. There's probably someone out there who's listening to this, probably someone who's not a member of the church or maybe someone who is. And they're listening to this and they're saying, man, you know, the reason why you're denying yourself, kind of like what you talked about straight, straight faking right like mm -hmm. you're done you're denying yourself because you've been programmed by the church to deny yourself what, what would you say to that person who, who says that oh i say come on over let's have a good good chat because I'll, <laughs> I'll uh 
I have some words for you, my friend. Um, that that question absolutely had crossed my mind, and I can tell you. So one of the I, I know I'm kind of breaking chronology a little bit, but uh, to answer your question, post divorce, single gay Mormon dad, just unhappy, depressed, just missing my children like crazy. Uh, I, I did deal with suicide ideation, which for those mm. of you who don't know, it's not attempting suicide. It's letting those thoughts, you know, kind of grow in your mind. And, uh, and that was happening to me. And that was a real thing that I, I struggled with. And so I, I wasn't well and I needed to get help. And, uh, and just to kind of make this short and sweet so we can get back to the chronology, um, I made a very conscious decision when I, uh, I'll never forget, I was in my room and I prayed a prayer and I stripped myself away from everything. I was like, I don't care what religion I am, what my parents say, what family, what friends, no, like just this is me as raw and as real as you can get. And I asked myself, what do I want in life? Or, or like, do you, or actually it was even before that, I said, do you want to live? And I said, yeah, I do want to live. <laughs> I said, okay, good. Great. You want to live. Well, what do you want to do with your life? Well, I want to be happy. Okay, great. Well, what makes you happy? Oh, well, I felt the happiest when I was close to God. Okay, great. What do you want to do about God? Well, I want to get to know him. Even though we were not on speaking terms, there was some bitterness there. Um, but I decided that I, I was going to put God back in my life. And so piece by piece, I started putting my life back together. And I didn't do it because the church told me to do it. I didn't do it because family expected me to do it. I did it because I wanted to do it. And that is why I'm a different person today. Before, the church would tell me what to do and I would follow. It's reverse now. I do what I want to do and I choose to follow because that's who I am. That's what I'm choosing. And that's very, very important because what you, what you just said, there are a lot of us who do follow the church because it's been programmed into us. Well, my programming broke, and it broke hard. So I, I reprogrammed myself, and I put the pieces back because I chose to do it. So nobody else can tell me that my choices are because of external forces. And I, I am who I am today because I chose it. Um, and I'm a lot happier because of that. <laughs> wow. Well, that's, that's great to hear. You know, that's great to hear. And that's, and that's the thing that I think is because I, you know, I know that I've got, I have friends who are outside of the church who are a part of the LGBTQ community. Yes. And when they hear this, I know they're going to say something like, well, you're not living your true self and you're not doing this stuff. And, and my response mm -hmm. to that as being, look, I'm a straight, you know, straight male Mormon. Okay. So I don't know if I can even, if I should be talking about it, but in my view, I just think, well, listen, John Meldrum, this is, this is what he chooses. He identifies as a child of God, just as much as he, he identifies as someone who has same gender attraction or is gay or whatever you want to say it. And, and if he chooses to live that life, why is that any different than someone who chooses to use, to live their life in a way that exemplifies sexuality? Like you don't have to be a practicing gay man if that isn't what's making you happy and it sounds like that didn't make you happy yeah here here's two thoughts that i so to to my lgbtq uh friends out there listening to this what i what i would say to you guys is um I, like i said earlier everyone has their their own path and their own story for me i had children 
And I had to really consider their, their future. Like if I was to go and be in a, a long-term relationship with another man, their, their future, I had to put that, take that into consideration, you know, that mattered, you know? And, and so for me, I couldn't just run off to the sunset with, you know, my Prince Charming or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing that I, I had to, that, that I would say to my, my LGBTQ friends is that, uh, when we've been hurt very deeply, either by um, people in the church or by doctrines that we feel are unfair, uh, one thing that I was very careful when I was coming back to, to church was not to be a victim. Um, I feel like there's a lot of victimization out there in the sense that, oh, well, the church did this to me, or the church doesn't uh, accept my lifestyle, so therefore I can't um, I can't be my true self. And so I need to now attack the church or, or disagree with them or call them out on their, their errors, uh, because I, I can't uh, own up to my own mistakes or just can't, you know, can't, I can't process and deal with, with what's going on. And at the end of the day, the church is, they're a private, uh, religious organization. They can do whatever they want. If they feel like man, uh, marriage is between a man and woman, that's their prerogative. I can either jump on the bandwagon or not. Um, but, uh, <sighs> I, I just chose to not give that much power to the church. If I were to sit there and say, my life is messed up because the church did this to me, that's like giving all the power to them. And what I learned from my divorce is that holding on to anger and hate, you are giving your power and your agency to that person. They now control you. They're no longer with you anymore, but they're still in, uh, controlling your thoughts because you can't let go of hate and bitterness. And unfortunately, to a lot of my LGBTQ friends who who probably have been truly hurt, and I, and I don't want to diminish their feelings or condescend to them in any way, like they have real true hurt. I've talked with a lot of them, and I don't, I don't want to diminish that. But there comes a point where you have to let it go. And you have to forgive. And you have to move on. And you just got to love the people of the church. They're trying their best, just like you are. You know, and uh, we, we've all, we're all human and we all, we're all on this journey together and uh, we all need to, to be respectful and show love to one another. And, and if there are those of us who want to stay in the church, you know, respect that choice. And if those of us who want to leave for whatever reason, we'll love you too. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of struck a chord with me. I gotta be honest, this whole idea, you know, I carry, I carry some anger because of my own personal personal situations within with with relationships and um yeah and uh that's that's a hard that's a hard lesson to learn especially when someone's someone's hurt you and i i like what you said because i know it's true it's hard when you're when you're experiencing it you know but yeah Oh, it is. It was but, not easy. It took me years to get to this point where I could truly let it go. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I've often said I, I. This is me being a little more vulnerable. I keep myself pretty private with situation with this situation. But like, uh, I sometimes wish I could just jump forward uh, to that place, and it's it just. But it's a journey. But, but. This isn't about me. This is about John Meldrum. So, 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 John, um, I wanted to ask you something because you said something and I, it struck a question for me because I've never, I've heard 
you know, you, you mentioned you said I had to take my kids into account and I can't just run off with my Prince Charming. And I've yeah. I've heard I've heard a lot of people who are, you know, someone call anti LGBTQ or something of that nature mm-hmm. um, who have said things like that. But I've never heard it from somebody who's gay or, or has same gender attraction. Is there something about what was it about you running off with a man that you felt wouldn't be good for your kids? That's a great question. And I disclaimer, uh, for all of uh, you same gender couples out there who have children, I applaud you for taking the opportunity to adopt and raise children. That's not easy. That's a hard thing to do. And I'm not diminishing your choice at all. Uh, For me, I had to really sit down and seriously consider what that would mean. And I would say a lot of it was a lot of fear in the beginning, because you have to remember, my divorce is extremely bitter. Like, my ex-wife does not like me at all. And she took my children away from me Mm. and tried to continually take my children away from me. I was scared. I was absolutely terrified that if I were to marry a man or be in a long-term relationship with him, that she would do everything in her power to make sure I never see my children again. Now, even, that's here, even here in California? I mean, you thought, that the, you, you thought that here in California that the courts would, would do that? I, I'm just, I'm curious because it's yeah, interesting yeah. to me because we're, we're in California. It's funny because here we are in California and we're, we're so quote unquote progressive, right? But it's also, mm-hmm. it's also the state that passed Prop 8. So, it, yeah. you know. It depends on the judge. I've been in yeah. court. I've been in family court long enough to know that a lot of it boils down to the judge. And if you can pay for a good attorney, if you, if you've got a judge who is more balanced between mothers and fathers, good for you. If you have them that are kind of a man hater a little bit, then eh, you're kind of screwed in general courtrooms across the United States favor women over men. You will never find a more anti, um, father, anti man, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Basically, men have to be perfect in family court. If we do anything that breathes any type of neglect or abuse, we will get everything taken away from us. So we have Mm. to be perfect. Mm. And unfortunately for me, I was very naive to courts. When I first started negotiating the whole divorce process, I thought to myself, well, I work five days a week, so I can only really take the kids two days a week. So yeah, maybe that should be the parenting plan. Whoa, big mistake there, because that became the parenting plan for the next four freaking years. And I Mm. fought like hell to get my children back and drained all of my money and went into absurd amount of debt just so I could see my kids. I mean... So, but kind of going back to your your question of uh, why did I, uh, you know, um, take my kids into consideration, I I just, I I don't know if this is going to make sense, but I grew up with a mother and a father that went to church and had a, a heterosexual mother father nuclear family dynamic that's what i was raised with and yeah a little bit hardwired into me and so i think deep down inside i felt a little selfish you know denying my children the opportunity to have a mother figure in the home because women have such amazing qualities that men just simply don't have and i wanted that for them even though i was attracted to men 
I just felt like women just can offer something that men can't. Um, so that was another big thing I had to weigh is another big reason why I started dating women again. So, wow. That's interesting. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I just, you know, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a ton, ton and ton of experience in the family courts, but, but, uh, oh. you know, I, I, <laughs> I, it just hasn't, I just haven't had, you know, with the court system in general, I haven't, I mean, I'm a, I'm a personal injury attorney, right? That's where most of my, my, um, the civil justice system is really more what I, what I see, but I just haven't, I haven't experienced that yet. And I know, I know a lot of the judges are you, are you were you in Placer County then? Oh You're yeah. I go up to yeah, yeah. Santucci justice center. I know the yeah. judges. Okay. I know. Yeah. I know them. Yeah, all. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> as, I'm familiar with the civil judges over there and I'm, I'm familiar with all the Sacramento County judges and, and I've, um, so it's interesting that you, you bring that up. But anyway, let's let's go back to the the chronology. So you you, you get through high school, you serve mm -hmm. a mission. Two right? years. Two years. Where'd you go? Mm -hmm. Las Vegas, Nevada West. Oh, nice. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And good experience? Great. Loved it. Yeah. 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 Had a good time. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Loved serving with my uh, fellow missionaries and, uh, you know, some, some j just like any other missionary out there. We worked hard some days and other days we... Didn't work as hard, and <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I um, uh, so you go and serve a mission. You come back. You so you came back then in what two thousand eight? Yes, tail end okay. of two thousand eight. Okay, and then you. Uh, how long after you got back did you get married? Great question. So, to fill in those couple of years. Uh, I went to BYU Idaho from 2009 to 2013, and it wasn't until my senior year, my very last year, last semester or two, uh, is where I met my first wife. Uh, we got married in 2012, so there was probably a four-year. I was 24 years old when I got um, married. Wow, you were old, old hat then <laughs> for, for members. You yeah. know, like yeah. I mean, I. You know, it's like I thought BYU Idaho. It's like you married in three weeks or your money back. I mean, that's yeah, just right. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. The disclaimer it says you're not married in the first semester. You get a, a, your money back for sure. I just I just remember the um, the movie <laughs> the RM was so funny because that was it. Just, it seemed like that when I came home. It seemed like when I came home, everybody was dating, and within like a month or two, they were engaged oh, and they were married. Yeah. Oh. And so, like, mm. you know, I, I had a lot of friends who, I mean, like, they are, like, married within six months to a year after coming home. And, it's and true. A lot it's of, true. And a lot of them are, you know, that, that's it's an interesting, mm -hmm. it's just an interesting cultural thing within the Mormon church that's so foreign to everybody else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there, there are some good things and bad things for that. Uh, for me, it was a bad thing because I rushed... I rushed into my first serious relationship and then rushed into marriage. And I should have dated one-on-one -on -one long-term relationship instead of just kind of hanging out, maybe going on a couple of dates, like actual serious one-on-one -on -one relationship. That's what I needed. And so that's why I feel like when my kids turn 16, I'm okay with them actually dating because I mm. want them to 
get the experience of interpersonal relationships with the opposite sex. Um, right. Yeah, there's always that risk of having sex, but that's why we do our best as parents to teach them, so that way they make the right choice when the time comes so, to it. So, so when you say when you say you're you're okay with them dating when they're 16, do you mean like one on exclusively one. one person? Exclusive one on one, absolutely. Oh, okay. I'm okay with that because. Then you you turn like what happened to me. I didn't exclusively date. I just kind of went on group dates, and I never had that one-off, you know, kind of intimate one-on-one experience. I didn't know what I liked and what I didn't like. What worked for me, what didn't. I just basically married the first person that I ever seriously dated, and so See, I was very so, naive. And so that, and I that's that's so interesting. I, and I'll tell you why that's interesting to me because. I had a very different experience and my oh, experience okay. was I dated around. I had like, I would say she was probably more of a best friend than a high school. She, she was more of a best friend than a high school girlfriend. We, mm -hmm. I was just head over heels for her and was chasing her around for mm -hmm. years. Um, and uh, she was the only one I had eyes for. And I, and I went on dates with a bunch of other women. I went, you know, I went on to homecomings and stuff with people, but I never had like, a really serious girlfriend, you know, other than kind of this weird, unhealthy relationship I had with this one. And, uh, and, you know, I look back and now I tell my kids, I'm like, Hey, don't get hung up on one person because I missed out on so many cool opportunities to go and date all these other women and get a sense of what I liked and didn't like and get that experience. And then when I came back from my mission, cause I came back from my mission, I was still head over heels for her. She was, you know, she wrote me every week and you know, I thought that that was the one and it, it didn't work out and she's, she's gone now. She's, she's somewhere else. And she's, ha I assume she's happy. I haven't talked to her in two decades, but, but I mean, you know, it sounds like she's happy and doing great and that's, that's great. And, but yeah, I, I tell my son, I go, I, I I hope that you that you don't pair off. But your experience was you did the opposite. You wish you had. Yeah. So I think it strikes a balance. Maybe ex exclusively date. Maybe give it six to twelve months. If it ain't going anywhere, move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was that was actually because that was that was my experience too. Is I, I felt like within three weeks to a month, usually I had a good sense of whether it was going to work out or not. And it, yeah, and it was like, exactly. And then after that, I was like, man, this isn't going to work. Next. Yeah, every, you know? <laughs> every, yeah, exactly. And everyone's different. Maybe there are like there, there are crazy people like my parents who met and like 14 days later were engaged. And like they're one of those crazy, <laughs> you know, whirlwind yeah. romance kind of people. But uh, and then there's me who were just like super naive and like was secretly gay and didn't realize it. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that, too. Well, okay, so so then I take it um, by the time you get married, mm -hmm. you haven't you had not, had you come to grips with the fact that you had same gender attraction that you were gay. Yeah, yeah. So let's back up a bit. Come home from mission. That's when I started to get into pornography. Um, mm. I used pornography as a way to deal with my uh, anxiety and depression. It was very hard for me to come back from a, a two-year mission where I was not around my family. Um, I, I have kind of a rough... At the time, I had a rough relationship with my parents. I felt like I was just... See, I'm the youngest of seven kids, so I, was, I felt like I was just a little worker bee, um, and I felt like they didn't make time for me and my siblings, mm -hmm. and I didn't feel 
close and connected with them like other parents were. Mm. And I spent two years seeing amazing, just really, truly awesome, loving LDS families and just seeing how families could be. And then I come back home and just seeing that environment again, it was, it was, it was devastating for me. It was devastating to the point where I started getting into pornography and I ultimately left within six weeks. I went back to my mission. I lived there for eight months until college started. I couldn't be around my family. It was just too depressing. Wow. And so now so now I was secluded. I was alone. I was spiraling spiraling God, I can't talk. I was spiraling the drain, just getting deeper and deeper into pornography. Ninety five percent of it was uh was gay pornography. Um and at this and, time but but when this is going on, are you coming to grips with the fact that you're gay? Not yet, because I thought to myself, well, it's just pornography. That's not same-sex attraction. It's just pornography, right? So, again, just lying to myself, compartmentalizing it. Now, looking back (laughs) at that, looking at it now, do you realize you're like, that was kind of not... Let me me back up and say this. There are times when I had gone and done... So, you know, I I would go and do, do something or whatever, and I would justify it. And I look back, and I'm like, well, that was silly. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I wish I hadn't left. I wish I would have stuck around and tried to make um, my relationship with my parents better. Um, we're, we're okay now. Things are fine now. I've moved on from all the past hurts and everything, so everything's good. Well, well hold on a second. Let me let me back up and little, explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um so the past hurts. You're saying that like you felt like a worker bee. You felt like you didn't. You you, you they didn't give you the connection. What, what do you, what do you think you were looking for? And what did you see in the families on the mission? Because there's one thing that I let me say, the one thing I've learned is all of those people that you look at and you're like, wow, they look like they really have it together. None of them have it together. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Well, just like simple things like, hey, come to my game or come to my concert. Uh, you know. Um, my parents never pushed me to get my Eagle Scout award. You know, it's just like you're lucky, uh, sir. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I dodged a bullet there, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, right? Or if I needed money for things, like the answer is just always no. I had to work for everything. I get, I. It's a good and bad thing. I was raised to be a lone wolf. If I wanted, I was a kid. And if I wanted a birthday party, I had to plan everything and do everything. And like, my, I, you know, I had to do it all. I had to do everything myself. And I just felt like my parents, I didn't feel like it. it was true. Like I couldn't rely on my parents for things like that uh, because they, they were, they grew up in the era, era where you got to rub dirt on it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps young man and that's just how the world is and get used to it and it's just there was just no compassion and mm. i was just like i reject that i think that's a bunch of bullshit and uh mm. i i dote over my my children i'm there sitting down with them doing the homework with them i spoil them rotten and yeah i choose to use my time and money on them because i love them and i care about them so yeah. i just i've 180 it from my parents <laughs> and if they're yeah, listening to it i'm sorry but that's just how i feel <laughs> yeah well that's inter- that's interesting you know my, my i i i had a you know my my upbringing was good my my parents are good people but they struggled quite a bit while i was in especially when i was in high school they mm-hmm. struggled quite a bit and i i at times i felt like 
you know, maybe they didn't, they, they were so wrapped up in their own stuff that they didn't have time. But, but at the same time, I mean, my, my parents did go, you know, like if I had a basketball game, they came, you know, yeah. and, and things like that. And, uh, but no, it's, it's interesting. Did, did your, do you think you're, I mean, you said you had three brothers and three sisters. Do, do you ever talk to them? Do you kind of all feel this way or is this exclusive to you? Oh yeah. The, we all feel this way. All uh, seven of us are, okay. we, ha- we all have strained relationships with our parents. I'm actually probably the most, um, uh, kind of, uh, what's the word? I mean, we're open, open, welcoming, forgiving. Like I've just decided to move on from it. There's no point in wallowing and, and the past so of your of your family members how many are still active at church all seven oh really okay that's interesting mm-hmm. um so okay so you have this issue you start with pornography and you're mm-hmm. 95 of it is is gay pornography and mm-hmm. um you're you're still kind of compartmentalizing that and yes. you have four years. I mean, is this going on continuously or is it times where it was really rampant and you went to a bishop and it went away for a while? How's yeah. That yeah. Yeah. So yeah, very similar. So like I'd be feeling bad beating myself up and then I'd go in the bishop's office and he'd say, okay, we'll stop taking the sacrament for a few weeks and uh, just don't do it again. Have, <laughs> have a nice day. Don't, <laughs> don't let the door hit you on the way out. So I, I mean, I, I was dealing with, uh, you know, Eastern Idaho farming guys you know and and to delve into the deep psychological reason like they're they just bishops are not psychologists they're not Mm -hmm. finance experts they're not they're just people and Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you might get bishops who can really like help you through that but they're they're not industry professionals and to to help you navigate that uh, that just wasn't going to happen um so yeah it's (laughs) funny it's funny you bring that up because i i've had similar experiences you know here's here's what i would say about that because i've heard this this is something that i've referred to bishop's roulette i've heard that quite a bit and this is this is something that's near and dear to me because of uh stuff that's happened in my own life and in family and things like that when it came to this you know, I've had some bishops that I am sure, especially like getting me out on a mission, man. Like I am convinced my leaders were there specifically to get me out on a mission because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone if it wasn't for a very good young men's president and young men's leaders and a very good bishop who really pushed me. A couple of them, you know, that really worked on me. But then I've had some bishops where I'm like, mm, man, this one's not this ain't so great and i'm not really feeling it but sometimes you know like it does it mean that they're not called of god like no i don't think that's necessarily true you know just because and who knows maybe they're you know i i often wonder i i wonder how that how that works in the grand scheme of the cosmos and in the universe well i can answer that for you so just remember the scripture many are called but few are chosen and why are they not chosen because their hearts were so set upon the things of the world that they forget this one lesson that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and that the powers of heaven cannot be handled except upon principles of righteousness of patience love and fame you know uh <laughs> what's basically the pure love of christ so you can be called as a bishop but you still have to have those christ-like att- attributes to be chosen 
So. Sure. The, the <laughs> thing is, though, is like you said, I mean, we're dealing with imperfect people. And if there's one thing that mm-hmm. I've learned, you know, I've done a, I've done a lot of uh, I've done a couple of podcasts now with PhDs who've really honed in on church history, the church leaders. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, the more and, and, and for me personally, it's kind of faith strengthening because you sit there and you realize that even at the top, they're still human. They still yeah. they still mm-hmm. struggle with their own issues and their own probably you know own things and man that's faith promoting for me because if 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 a if one of these guys who you know are a a prophet or apostle a stake president a bishop can be struggling so hard uh i got a shot i got a shot I'll, i'll tell you this might blow your mind a little bit i've actually been in porn addiction recovery groups with people who were former bishops and high councilmen so that doesn't shock me at all. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't shock me at all. It, you because know, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, this is a problem. It's a problem for everybody. And I mean, exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if there were stake presidents that are dealing with this. I mean, I have oh, yeah. had leaders, you know, this is, and this, I, this is in no way, just I, I, sometimes people have accused me of like bashing. I'm not. I'm not. It's highlighting a point, and that is that I have had some of the best, the best leaders. My mission presidents, both of them, best men I ever met. We take a bullet for either one of them. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You know my my uh, my bishop. You know the bishop that got me out. He went to bat for me when a lot of people didn't didn't buy what Josh Edlow was selling. You know and. Mm-hmm. Um, same with my young men's leaders. And uh, I've had members of state presidencies that I know get excommunicated. I mean, they're not, and, and you know, we, the excommunication process is something that I, you know, we can talk about another day, but like, well, they're, you know, I've been through I, that. <laughs> okay. All right. So there, so yeah, mm. we can talk about that with you because I, I, that's something I really want to talk about. But, but my point is, is that, it doesn't matter. The, the calling doesn't matter. You're still dealing with imperfect people. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyhow, okay, so you're you're going through this, and now where do we go from here? So you, so you meet your wife. Yes, so we meet, and uh, when you, when we get married, obviously, you know, that the door of being sexually active opens, and boy, let me tell you, it just opened up a whole new world for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, porn was just not even, it was just, it's like, well, that's nice. <laughs> There's just so much better. <laughs> okay. So, so you uh, mean sexual in- intimacy with your first wife? Yeah. Like, yeah. Stopped it just, you from watching porn. You, well, yeah. Cause like, I mean, we've been eating, uh, you know, little, little hors d'oeuvres, but it's, then they bring out this giant cake and I was like, Ooh, I want the cake, you know, forget uh, these little finger foods. Uh, <laughs> oh, John, oh, John, I'm a. I'm on a cut right now. I'd really love some cake. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so go, go ahead. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, I, I we first year of marriage, great. Like I mean, there's that adjustment period. Um, you still with me? All right, round two. Apologize, technical difficulties. Internet stinks. You were saying. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> So uh, basically what I was saying is that after I got married and, you know, I 
engaged in sex with my first wife, you know, that just completely opened up a whole new world to me. And it's, we were, we were great the first year together. Um, but, uh, as you know, as marriages tend to uh, get stressful and college and finances and everything, I started to kick back to my old self-destructive behaviors. Only this time it was now added with this new, um, this new kind of uh, kind of addiction. So it wasn't just porn anymore. Then it started to be, oh, well, look at that guy. You know, I bet I could do things with him. And so unfortunately for me, I started to uh, not just entertain the idea, but act on that idea. Mm. And um, it's, you know, it's something to this, to this day that I still feel really bad about. But, uh, you know, I started to act on those, those impulses and those urges and then just kind of tell myself, well, it's not that bad. Kind of downplay it, diminish it, you know, again, put it in a box, mm -hmm. put the box somewhere else and just compartmentalize it, not deal with it. Um, and I did that for sadly for years. Didn't tell my wife. Um, now, I will say this, though. My first wife, I couldn't even talk about pornography with her without her just breaking down and being like, how could you do this to me? And she's not the only one. There, are, To you LDS women out there, there is nothing more hurtful, harmful, debilitating thing that you can do than to create an, a negative space where your husband can't open up to you and talk about his struggles. Because he's going to feel judged. He's going to feel like he can't tell you the the pains in his heart. And, you know, and the, us guys, we're not... I'm not going to go to other guys and be like, hey, yeah, dude, I got this porn problem. I'm let me tell you all about it. Like, we I just don't. This, I've got this gay porn problem. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Even, even worse. Even yeah. worse. yeah sure. So what do I do? Bury it. Stuff it down. Just bury it, bury it, bury it. And mm -hmm. after years and years and years of burying it, uh, it definitely affected our relationship. And uh, she didn't know exactly what the issue was, but she knew something was wrong. And uh, until a few years later, um, so she so, so the story goes, we were flying to go visit my family in Washington. And on the way back, she left her phone on the plane and you could track it and you could see the phone like pinging around the United States. Well, while she was waiting to get her phone back because we called the airline, uh, she decided to use my computer so that way she could... Um, uh, message people she needed to. Well, unfortunately for me, my iPhone sunk to my computer, and when she went up to messages to type people, unfortunately she saw some pretty, pretty compromising text messages, and then uh, some pictures. Don't. So she confronted me about that, and then the gig was up. It's like, up. Oh can't lie anymore. So I did what I thought was the, the best thing to do was just to tell the truth. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. You want the truth. Here we go. I just unloaded on her. And uh, to her credit, that was not easy to do, to, to sit there and to listen to your husband tell you that, oh, I've cheated on you with other men. That's kind of a double whammy. Um, and it's something that like I said, to this day that I still regret and feel really bad about. But uh, there was something freeing, freeing about that. Like, like, okay, finally I can be the real me and just say things as it were. But instead of healing and coming together 
two days later, she packed up her stuff and she was gone. Mm. Didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Mm. Just let me let me over. ask you some let me ask you some questions about that. And, and here's the thing, you know, it's interesting. Some of this, <laughs> I'm trying not to bring my uh, my own. I don't know trauma and biases to some of this. Mm-hmm. I hope you understand that because I just right. I every every marriage is different, and I don't I don't know yours, but I, I have some questions based on what you just mm-hmm. said. And and the first one would be when you were dating, did you communicate with her at all about uh, your porn issues? Did you did you yes. did she know you had them? Oh, she did. Okay, she so did. You'd have, yeah, I was you'd open that with conversation. that. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Um, that was hard. That was a, that was a, almost a deal breaker for her. It was very yeah. close. So, so there's, and the reason I ask is because I, uh, the reason I ask is because sometimes, like, did she know that you had you were dealing specifically with same gender attraction? Did she know that was a part of it? I did not tell that to her because I was I was still in denial at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I. So, so did she ever communicate? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. If you had more to say. Uh, no, just the fact that it, I I didn't start coming to grips and accepting it until after we separated. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So so I guess like when you when you come out to her, I mean you're right, right? You you even acknowledge it's a it's a double whammy. I mean to be the betrayal trauma is very real. And, oh yeah. And uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of compartmentalization that you were doing mm-hmm. uh, throughout this whole process. Like you, you even said so yourself. Well, it's not quite that bad, you know. It's not. It's not really what you know. And the next thing you know, you're down a rabbit hole. I'm sure, you know. Yeah. And, and you realize, wow. Um, and uh, when she left you a couple of days later, did she communicate? Was it the che- was it the cheating or was it the the fact that it was a gay cheating? Um, it yeah. So I from my from my recollection, it was yeah the gay component of it was uh, a big deal to her, and it was the fact that she felt like our marriage wasn't valid because we never should have been married in the first place, and that one hurt a lot because we had so two she, kids. Is she saying that because? Well, you're gay? Is that what she's... I think part of it was to maybe save face, kind of protect her own feelings, because I'm like, oh, well, I married a gay guy. Like, oh, you know, well, that marriage wasn't valid, because he never should have married me, because he was never worthy, was what was told oh, to it me. Oh, so, it was a worthiness issue. Mm-hmm. I was... Okay. Yeah, so so there there was... And, and I can say this now that years have gone by, the, treat, the way that she has treated me has been full of... Of, of bitterness it's been very visceral a lot of hate um and that can i can only trace that back to plain and simple it's just homophobia you know it's mm-hmm. this this idea that she just can't accept the fact that she was in a marriage with a man who experienced same sex attraction and that's just too much for her to process and deal with the shame of it's too great mm-hmm. and that's where we can do better as uh, as a Christian community to not create that environment by being accepting or, or that that's by being accepting of people who have same sex attraction, 
then I think it would have created a dialogue between us where it was like, hey, you betrayed me and that hurt, but I'm willing to accept your same-sex attraction and work on that. Mm. But because uh. she wasn't in that headspace, that wasn't on the table. So she she's just like gone. Well, let me let me ask you. The reason I bring this up is because, like, um, I, I actually remember having a conversation with another, with another well, former friend, about this very topic. And and uh, you know, he very different, very 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 different circumstance than what you're talking about. Um, but <laughs> like, but uh, I remember asking him. I go, "Will you understand why she left?" Right. You know, I mean, like, you know, it, right. it's 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 because it sounds like and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know your story. But I but it sounds like to me as a as an observer, you she she I can only imagine she's thinking this isn't something I signed up for. Right. Yeah. Like I she, think she, that's a fair statement. Yeah. Like she she knew you had some issues with pornography, but she definitely did not sign up to be with somebody who deals with same gender attraction. And I can just mm -hmm. say that I'm sure the betrayal trauma alone is is jarring enough. I mean, to have, uh, you know, your reality changed in an instant. It's Absolutely. almost like it's almost yeah. like it's almost like you, you're in the middle of the multiverse and you get thrown into an alternate reality and you can't get back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's well, hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so. So when you, when you, but I, but I guess you, you tell me, is it, do you think it was more that she hasn't been able to get to, to kind of let go of the betrayal trauma or do you think <clears throat> it's a, it's a level of, uh, of just, you know, cause, cause I guess I, I'm having a hard time asking the question. It's, is it more like, look, I didn't want to be married to a gay man, so I'm divorcing you, or was it betrayal trauma that is the big stickler? I think the betrayal trauma is more of the big stickler. Got it. Um, yeah, for sure. But it's interesting because to this day, I actually am grateful that she decided to leave me. And, mm. and, and here's why. Because I, I'm a good Mormon boy, and I was taught that when you get married, that's it. And I would have stuck it out to the bitter end. And I would have never had the courage to leave. She at least had the courage to leave. Mm -hmm. And we're both better off for it. So I will credit her for that. Um, because it allowed us both to heal in our own ways. And to find the person that we were meant to be with. Mm. That's, uh, there's something to be said for that. Because there is, you know, there's this, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it referred to as uh, anxious attachment, I think, or something like that, ancient abandonment attachment. I don't know how you say it. Um, but mm -hmm. there's something of that. And yeah, I mean, if you've had it modeled in your life that you just stick it out no matter what, um, mm -hmm. it makes that, that leap that even if you think you need to do it, it makes it so hard, you know, yeah. because you're just you're you're prone to you know i'm uh, you're prone to the um well you know you know brother meldrum you're gonna have to look the savior in the eyes at the end of your you know when you go to the judgment bar you're gonna have to <laughs> it's like are so you gonna you. tell him are you yeah but but are you gonna are you gonna tell him you know can you go in there and honestly say you did everything you could to save your marriage you know and you say well what does that mean you know, how, how much yeah. do you have to take? And right. it's, um, so, so, so you're going through this, you go through this situation. 
Tell mm -hmm. me when, um, you know, I, I got to imagine also, you know, you're, you're experiencing, I mean, you're struggling too. I mean, you, you've been found out, mm -hmm. um, this thing that you probably at this point, the compartmentalization is no longer there. <laughs> so you're oh, feeling yeah. the shame of that. Oh tell, tell me, yeah. Tell me more about that. Tell me what, because were you, um, we had Tony Overbay on not too long ago talking about narcissism, emotional immaturity and avoidance of shame. We all do that in some mm -hmm. form. So tell me, tell me what those days were like. I'm imagining that's the beginning of your dark period. Yeah. Yeah. That was the dark days. Um, I just, I was broken. I was just mm -hmm. completely broken. I, I messed up. I got found out. And then of course, family comes a knock in and like, well, what's going on? Why aren't you and John together? So then family finds out. So the coming out experience is a very personal one. And instead of doing it in a positive way on my own terms, it was done to me in a negative way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a very traumatic coming out experience for me. It wasn't positive at all. Uh, so was so this a, it, sorry, let me let me stop you right there. I want to ask a quick question. So was this a situation where uh, when you're after this happens, your your ex is shouting it from the rooftops to anyone who will listen, or is it a situation where she just she's sharing with her family because they want to know why they're getting divorced? Right? You know, she she did a fairly good job of just keeping it to within the family. Just the only people who needed to know um, knew was the immediate family. She didn't go on Facebook and just blah, 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 you know, how could you? You did this. Um, because I think there was a lot of shame and embarrassment on her part. Uh, mm. So she, you know, she she spared a lot of my feelings if, uh, for that way. And I did uh, for the return that as well. Like I didn't go around and blast it. Now, this, this sounds very one-sided. And I just want to clarify that she was no angel either. Okay. Mm -hmm. She had a lot of her own issues and her own things that she was dealing with um she's she does deal with narcissism and controlling issues uh like her dad um and so she was not always the funnest person to be around even sure. when well i think any i think any marriage could could tell you uh -huh, exactly <laughs> you know you're you know i uh and uh that's uh that i'm i don't i don't know if there's a married man or woman out there who thinks that their spouse is great all the time, but, but it sounds like you had dealt with something different. Well, well, my, well now, my now wife is amazing all the time. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's good. That's good. You found somebody, but, but the, tell me more about that time. Tell me more about the time when you're oh. just, you're feeling this, you're, I got to imagine mm. sitting in that shame that you're feeling has got to be, it's got to oh, be tough. Josh, I cried a lot. I cried and I cried some more. And then when I was done crying, I kept crying. I, I've never cried more in my entire life. I, I cried so much, there were no more tears left. My face hurt from crying all the time. Like, I would go to the store and I'd see somebody from behind that looked like my, my wife and I'd just break down crying. I'd go to work at the Apple store and I'd be checking somebody in to do a phone repair and they pull a picture up of their kids and I just break down crying. Like, I was a mess. Like, what it was, was bad. It, what, what was it that you think, like, what was the primary thing that you were, 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's multifaceted, but what was the thing that worried you the most? Was it your kids? Was it the fact that, that I, your marriage has ended, that everybody knew? What was it? That, all that of it, the, everything. Yeah. I, but probably the most, if I were to rank it, that, uh, yeah, that, that my marriage was ending because I, I didn't, I didn't hate my wife. I loved her. I truly, lo I truly loved her. And I loved my kids. I loved them so much. And just to know that they were going to have to go through this experience at such a tender age, one and three years old was just so more than I could process and bear at the time. Wow, wow. man. Yeah. They were one and three. They were one and three. Wow. And when the thing about that is they were too young to tr like they, they had some hurts like, oh, why can't I see mom or why can't I see dad or whatever. But once they got four and five and even six years old, oh, it came out and manifested itself in a really ugly way. It's like my son was kicking and screaming at transitions because he didn't want to leave. I mean, you got to remember, he'd only see me two days a week. And then I tell him, OK, it's time to go back to mom's house. Oh, he fought me. He didn't yeah. want to go. He, want, he wanted his daddy. Yeah. So that was, that was hard. It was hard to watch them because children, we want to protect our children from all the horrible things in this world. And to know that my actions had led to their pain was just a dagger in my heart. And then seeing them just affect them the way that it did, it was, it was, it was awful. And I felt like a total shit human being for a long time. Yeah, that's got to be rough. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the, the effect that a divorce has on kids is very real. And uh, even, even if, it's, if it is the best thing. It, yeah, it, you know, it's it's I mean, you're dealing with something that mm -hmm. has generational impact. Yeah, we've all heard we've all heard the statistics. That's oh, scary. yeah. My now wife, uh, uh, Kayla, she helped me tremendously. So she grew up in a family of divorce. Mm. She was about eight or nine years old when her parents split. And she knows exactly how the kids were feeling. And she would help me through that. And she'd hold me and say, hey, you know what? Kids are going to be OK. I turned out OK kids are going to be okay. So she yeah. would kind of reassure me and, you know, because yeah. I didn't know any uh, divorced people. Like, mm. I just didn't. I was the only divorced person that I knew. Well, that's changed. I know tons of divorced people now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't know where yeah, to go. True. I didn't have any support. Yeah. Um, and it had to, you know, talk to me a little bit about this because, I, you know, when you have these situations, people... It, I, I find it really interesting in the church when um, when someone gets, uh, you know, there there tends to be in a lot of situations, right, where like everybody just kind of assumes what happened because it's, it seems to be almost the same story every time. And the story is the guy goes and does something, uh, you know, does something wrong and poor doting housewife you know, situation, which yours, I mean, yours has a flavor of that, right? I mean, talk oh, yeah, to me I, about... I was the bad guy for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did that, um, how did that manifest through going to church at that point? So luckily, this is kind of interesting. We had just moved from Newcastle down to Roseville and then six weeks later, this big incident happened. So we had only been in the ward for like six weeks. So nobody mm. really knew us. Mm. Um, so I had the benefit of anonymity through that process, um, which I'm very grateful for. Because it's not like 
those situations where you've been in the ward for years and years and years and everybody knows you and everybody knows your business. Like, luckily, yeah. I, did, I didn't have that. <laughs> ah, okay. So did you feel like, uh, so, so you, it sounds like you, you went through a, uh, uh, a church discipline process. That's correct. Um, how did you feel as you were going through that process? Oh, I felt horrible. Um, it's extremely intimidating to sit there and have 15 people who you don't know make snap judgments about you and not taking the time to get you know you like we're doing right now and basically said, well, so you did this and that and you lied and you cheated and you did all these terrible things like you're 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 terrible. And for those of you who don't know, um, when you go through a church disciplinary council, you have six people who are for you and six who are against you essentially they're they're trying sex are trying to to determine why you should continue to have your membership and privileges and the other six are are questioning that and trying to see if there's maybe a course for correction to revoke church membership or privileges so so the official verdict um and my stake president it was a tough one because at this time i was starting to come back to church very slowly um and I, I was having an honest desire to, to change my ways. Um, and so he actually ended up not excommunicating me. And back then, what was called disfellowshipment. Um, so that means I still am a member of the church. The rights of the priesthood are still with me. The gift of the Holy Ghost is still with me. But my participation in the church is severely limited. No callings, no prayers, no taking of the sacrament. I can't... Um, yeah, no ministering, things like that. I can basically show up to church and that's it. Mm -hmm. So how long did you, were you uh, in that state? A long time. A long uh -huh. time. Probably. Like over, like over a year? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a very long and hard road back. Um, it took a long time. And I'll never forget the first time I came back to church I had a panic attack. I got up in the middle of the sacrament. I ran out and I went in my mm. car and I just cried because I looked around and I saw all these families that were perfect. And, you know, I was taught my whole life that families can be together forever uh, through temples. And that was not, not true you. for me anymore. Not you. You know, yeah. I was going to be this gay single, you know, father reject Mormon and no one's going to want to be around me. <laughs> yeah. I was just, I couldn't deal with it. So I, it was hard for, it was very hard for me to come back to church. I, yeah. I felt the judgment, even if nobody was overtly judging me, I felt judged. Mm. So now that, that's, that's, it, I'm glad you said that the way you said that, because I've often wondered, um, when it comes to that part, do you think that was something that you, you you were legitimately being judged, or do you think that that was more something within you? More so within me, but I know deep down we all judge. We all do. Sure. Whether sure. we say it or not, we all are. If, if people were to hear my story, they're like, ooh, John kind of did some terrible things to his former spouse. You know, that's going well, to kind of be the general consensus. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and look, you, you know, not to, I'm not, you know, I, I certainly would never condemn you, uh, nor do I condone. But I, but at the same time, you know, uh, look, just because I find it really interesting that members 
not all members, but I mean, this is just, and, and I hate to say members because this is people. Uh, I just say members because that's our group. Is right. They, they tend to focus more on the things that other people are doing that they can see and not necessarily the things that they're doing that nobody sees. Right. Yeah. And that and that's really frustrating and and I think that that's just a I think we probably all do that. It's much easier to call out somebody else's personal uh faults than it is to look at your own. That's for sure. But man, I think we would do a lot better to think about you know, the things that you're struggling you personally are struggling with rather than looking at some other person who's just trying to make it work. You said something at the beginning that I thought was really important and and part of the reason why I even started this podcast was because we're all just trying to do our best and we all mess up (laughs) some of us worse than others you know I mean I have been you know really hurt and uh, by people and I've hurt people you know I mean it just it happens and that's why we have an atonement so that we can get through that so right. you're so so you're you're going through this. You end up this fellowship. Tell me more about that process. You know, I've heard it. I've heard both sides. So I have I have a very good friend. I'm hoping to have him on the podcast. A very good friend mm-hmm. who was actually excommunicated, and and he believes it had to happen, and it was the best experience he's ever had, and mm-hmm. not ever had, but I mean he he needed to go through it, and he's grateful he went through it. And then I have yep. a lot. I know a few people who haven't, but who have also, who do not share that same, <laughs> that same <laughs> uh, experience. And um, where do you fall in that? Do you do you think that your experience with the church discipline process was was one of love or not? How did you? At the time, it was hurtful because it was people calling me out and. Like I said, making snap judgments when they didn't really understand the full situation, uh, especially where I felt like people just didn't really understand LGBTQ issues at the time. Um, and there was just no compassion or or understanding in addressing that. It was more like, well, you did this, this, and that, and just that was wrong and that was bad and you shouldn't have done that. I'm like, okay, well... Clearly, because we're all here, but like, let's let's try to see it from my perspective, at least a little bit. So I just wish there was a little more empathy and understanding. But it was, I, I would agree with your friend, it was a necessary process because I had to be broken down before I could be built back up. And um, the church has changed the way they do disciplinary councils. In fact, I don't even think they call them disciplinary councils. I think no, they call them membership review sessions yeah. i don't know i forget i'd have to they're, read the handbook called, again they're called membership councils now yeah membership councils and, yeah now now um you just so i'm clear you you said that you know it could have been met with more empathy if you could recommend like it there they come to john meldrum and say hey john you know when they're dealing with a, somebody who's dealing with lgbtq issues and we're going through this membership council what recommendations would you give that you think maybe could have been better in helping you through your repentance process? 
Oh, love, 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 love. The, the, wow. You have these very fragile souls who are coming to you because they have hurt and pain and anger and frustration and all, all the emotions that come with it. And as priesthood holders, as leadership in the church, it is absolutely 100% our duty to show Christ-like love and to be extremely gentle in, in judging our, our peers, um, because that is a very serious and sacred responsibility because that could, that could affect them, um, for the rest of their life. You know, mm -hmm. if, if, if done and not the best way possible, they, they could be turned away from, from their, their creator, um, because of so, something careless that somebody said or did or didn't do. Uh, and luckily for me, I, have enough sense to not sense, but like I, I could, un I understand that people are people and that I'm not going to let one bad experience affect my relationship with God. Um, yeah. So, so I, I look at that experience as a, as a good thing, as a positive thing, as a growing thing. Um, and it's transformed the way that I approach my brothers and sisters in my faith that I come with a lot of love and a lot of empathy and I just, I'm always willing to wrap my arms around somebody and just give them a listening ear. <laughs> so, so when you say like love, 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 what specifically would you say could have been done better? Like when you say love, 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 did you feel the fact that they were like kind of asking you questions? Yeah. Uh, they were, that they were poorly asked or g give me more an idea of what you're talking about. Well, <clears throat> so great question. So you walk into the room and they just start drilling you with questions. Well, it would have made the world a difference to me if they would have prefaced it a little bit more saying, Hey, we understand this is tough. This isn't easy. And, uh, you know, even though we don't know you on a personal level, we hope that we can spend some time today to get to know you a little bit. And and to and our our hope and our aim is to uh, do the will of the Lord and to more, most importantly conduct this in a way that you can feel His love in your life, something like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was your uh, was your ex spouse involved in the process at all? No, this was completely one hundred percent me, just mm -hmm. me and my my uh, leader, the the Roseville Stake leadership. Wow. Okay. And do you feel like um, you know we hear? We hear sometimes in uh, scripture, reprove be times of sharpness and afterwards showing an increase of love. Do you feel like that increase of love was given to you at some point? Eventually. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good. And and you're obviously still a, a member. So that that's been uh, that's, you know, it, it, it didn't break you. And no, it didn't break me because, again, going back to this idea of not being a victim, I decided that I wanted to have a relationship with God, and I was going to do that regardless of what the church was going to say, whether they excommunicated me or not. Um, that didn't matter to me. I was still going to have a relationship with the big guy upstairs. Got it. Got it. So now in this process, you're dating, and you, you mentioned that there was a good few-year period where you started dating men and and started to really well the dark period really started before that you were you were doing it while you were you were dating mm -hmm. to talk to me about i mean you you mentioned it sounded like you mentioned that after your 
divorce, you you kind of tried to figure out whether you maybe did want to engage with men or mm -hmm. not. Talk to me about that period. Yeah, so uh, it's really easy. You just get your phone out, download some apps, and be like, all right, when and where, let's do it. Get down to it. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, that was my uh, that was my uh, that that was my lifestyle for a, a while. wasn't safe. wasn't practical. Um, what do you mean it wasn't safe? You know, just meeting random people you don't know isn't a good idea. Mm. <laughs> it's not. Right. It's not a right. safe thing. You don't know if they're gonna hurt you. You're not, you don't know if you're gonna end up on the six o'clock news. But sure. I was so depressed that I would do anything to feel anything, mm. even if it just so I could t not think of how depressed I was and not feel the pain. You know, it's kind of like that show. Did you ever watch uh, The Haunting on Hill House on Netflix? No. You ever watch that? Never okay. Ne that. Never mind. Well, there's this gr girl on there. Her, her name is Theodora. And she, um, when she touches people, she can see their memories and feel their emotions. And mm -hmm. so, sometimes I like to identify uh, as her because it's like I just wanted to, to feel something because feeling feeling shitty was better than feeling nothing just emptiness nothing you know even if i was you know engaging in sexual acts with people at least i was feeling something and i wasn't alone you know mm. so that's kind of where my mind was at that time wow and uh as you're going through that did, did you ever actually you, you mentioned it sounded like what you're doing is you're just kind of meeting guys for random hookups that pretty much yeah and then, um, but any of them that developed into any sort of an actual relationship? There was a few that I, I liked and that, you know, we, we hung out and did some things together, but it never really went anywhere. And none and, of them ever did. And do you think that that is more akin to just because of your, I guess, sexual preferences that you tend to more, uh, more emotionally connect with females? Or do you think it was just the types of guys that you were seeing? Right, exactly. I, a little bit of both. Um, I, like the physical component was 100% there. But when it came to deep connection, emotional connection, real relationships, I knew what that felt like. I had been married for years to a woman. So I know I knew what that felt like. And I wasn't finding that with these guys. I wasn't feeling that deep connection that I was seeking for that relationship material. And that's not to say that guys couldn't fulfill that for me. It was, I just hadn't found it during that time. Mm -hmm. So as you're going through this process, um, how long, well, how long was this, this time? Three years. Three years. Okay. The dark years were lasted three years. Okay. And during that three years, I mean, do you feel like during those three years that you were going deeper and deeper down this kind of rabbit hole you're going down? Yeah, I, I, I went down into it and then I started to come back up. So it's just one kind of whoop. What, what was it that changed that had you coming back up? It was that prayer I was telling you about that I needed to change, mm -hmm. that I needed to, where, where, where I was, where I was dealing with the suicide ideation and I realized I needed to do something different in my life. Uh, that's when I started to make ask some pretty heavy questions 
do some soul searching and and start to reconnect with the big guy upstairs and and, and stop the self-destructive behavior which unfortunately a lot of men uh do that post divorce or post breakup they get they engage in some very very risky behavior whether it's promiscuous sex whether it's drugs whether it's drinking um the, that that actually is very typical for people in my situation and in this situation time. in this situation you're not going to church i'm assuming during this no. time no yeah. i was inactive for a while yeah and so as you're going through this uh this process um talk to me more about about the prayer and, and what you felt that kind of changed you yeah, yeah. So I just kind of what I was mentioning before, uh, I just went through my list. Like, do you want to live? Yeah. Uh, if, if so, what do you want to do with your life? You know, I kind of and, and the mindset that what I was going through was I didn't filter my life through any model paradigm, people's expectations, how I was raised, like anything that could influence me whatsoever. I said no. And I, I made this one decision truly truly from my being from from the depths of my soul so i knew it was real i knew it was really me and when i decided to come back oh <laughs> i came back and i was a different person wow. so that's actually why i have this symbol right here on my head a lot of people don't realize it but this is actually a phoenix and if you know the mythological stories of Phoenix, it's a firebird that when it dies, it's reborn into a more beautiful and stronger, more powerful Phoenix than, than before. Um, and so that's, I decided to use that as my identity for my, for my business. Interesting. Awesome. Well, yeah. well now, okay. So let's, uh, and we'll talk about your business a little bit um, here too, but let's, let's start with, you, you know, you start coming back. And at what point, as you start coming back, did you say, hey, you know, I'm going to start dating women? Or did you take a break from dating altogether? How did that happen? Yeah, I, I took a break, focused on me. I started going to the gym, uh, started getting swole, and started eating I remember, I remember the. I remember the, the transformation, man. You, you, you really cut down. You started muscles coming out and all that. I remember that. Oh, happened. yeah. Because I, I realized I needed to get my brain chemistry correct. Like when you start, when you deal with suicide ideation, you're not right in the head. And I, I was starting to be aware of that. Like, oh, hey, let's get my brain chemistry right. Let's start eating good foods, start going, you know, working out, running, getting some fresh air. Uh, and that has been my lifestyle ever since. Um, but yeah, coming out of that, that I wasn't dating for a while and I just focused on me and just started like doing some introspection and self -he healing, mindfulness, um, working on my mental health. I got into therapy, all that stuff. Hmm. How long was this uh, period of self-reflection? Mm, that's a good question. Probably about a year. So like the tail end of the three years of the dark, dark years, kind of that last year, there was kind of like some dark times, but starting to come to the light. <laughs> mm, okay. And as you're coming through, uh, one day you're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give this, this mutual app a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it was tough because you can't just turn the gay switch off. It doesn't work like right. that. Um, right. So I had a lot of concerns going into this relationship with my now wife, um, but it was a process. Our, our first year is definitely rocky, 
um, navigating that whole thing. But I was absolutely 100% open and honest with her the entire time uh, because I refused to walk around eggshells and be yeah. anything less than my authentic self. So you you um, you start dating her. You meet her, and you you to- told us about the story where you're like, oh, and by the way, I'm I'm gay. And then she was like, well, at least you didn't abandon your kids. Yeah. So tell me what the dating process with your now wife was like. So my current wife, um, I was so broke. <laughs> I had no money. I don't know why she picked me. Yeah. Um, I had nothing. Like, I was just a mess. I, I still look back at that. I'm like, you're so wonderful. I'm so glad you chose me. Um, but uh, it was, we were two very broken people because she not only grew up with divorce, but her husband just left her for another family. So mm-hmm. she went through a divorce as well. And she had a son. So we were both, we were two people who have both suffered divorce, that we were both single parents. We had both been inactive in the church. So we had a lot of common ground. (laughs) Mm. And so we kind of like, well, we're both broken. So let's just be broken together and let's, let's put, put, put back the pieces and and help each other. Um, So we started helping each other out and, you know, making dinner for one another and watching and watching each other's kids. And I'll never forget the day that I knew that I loved her because I, I put up a wall and I tell her this. I tell everyone to this day, I put up a big freaking wall because mm-hmm. I was kind of testing her a little bit to see if she would like really like if she was mm-hmm. like for real. And I'll never forget the day that I knew that I loved her was I got a uh, stomach flu and I was thrown up and I was in bad shape. And I had the kids, and I couldn't really take care of them, uh, you know, a two- and a three-year-old. And she came over, dropped everything, drove all the way down from Yuba City, and uh, she took care of me and my two kids and her kid. Wow. Wow. And I was like, who does that? <laughs> like, yeah. made me Your soup. Wife. and Yeah, I was like, that's wife material right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was the day that I knew that I loved her. Because um, wow. she wow. had told me before that day, I love you, and I couldn't say it back to her. But that day I knew that I loved her. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so so uh, tell me the courtship. You, you mentioned you said you were open and honest and the first year was real rocky. I assume after marriage it was rocky. Yeah. yeah. So we lived together before we were married, which is also kind of a not so mm-hmm. – uh, not, a, not a – it's looked down upon in Christian circles. Like, oh, you should only live with people you're married. So – we lived together and that definitely kind of ruffled some feathers and but honestly we knew we wanted to get married and it, there was actually a very practical reason for it we 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 were both financially really strapped and it didn't make sense for she was coming over to my house almost every day anyway and she had an apartment that she, or a house she was renting in Yuba City I had an apartment down here I was renting I was like let's just just move in <laughs> This is going to happen anyway. So we probably lived together only about like four months. uh, And then we got married uh, soon Mm -hmm. after that. Um, I see. And then you mentioned it it was rocky. What was rocky about it? It's just I had a lot of fear that I was going to be unhappy with this decision. And that I'm going to wake up one day and be like, "Mm, I shouldn't have married her. I'm too gay. Like mm. I, I, I'm seeing that dude, and I, I'd rather be with him. And and I've now ruined a, a second woman's life, and you know she's gonna leave me. 
and uh, it's just it's just gonna be my divorce all over again, and I can't handle that right now. I can't go through that again. So I had a lot of fear, even all even after getting married, I still had fear. Um, and then we ended. I ended up getting her pregnant, mm. and we had a kid together. Still had my insecurities. Still had my fear. But you know what actually changed all of that fear? I, I remember this very specifically. So uh, my little son, Austin, he was about four months old. And at four months old, they're still kind of a baby blob. You know, like you might get a few smiles, a few little interactions here and there. But I'll never forget, uh, I was with my son, Austin, four months old, in the bedroom. And he was just laying there on the bed. And I was just overcome with grief. And just mm. sadness and fear for the future. Didn't know where the marriage was going. Didn't know if I had made the right decision. Like, yeah, we were married. We had a kid together. But, you know, there's still all those little fears in the back of your mind. And I'll never forget, I looked down at him, and he looked right up at me, eye contact, and he gave me the biggest, warmest smile that a four-month-old could muster. And I'm telling you, Josh, when that happened, all of my fear melted away i felt uh it was a spiritual experience that i knew i made the right decision marrying my wife and that i was supposed to be a father to both her son and now this new little baby boy that we had together and i've never looked back since i've never had any doubt in my mind since that day um and i'm 100 percent confident that i did i did make the right decision Mm. Wow. And I've had, uh, <clears throat> that, 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 uh, so, so one of the questions that came through, uh, from a listener was what is the motivation for a woman to marry a, essentially a gay man? I mean, what, what, what was the, uh, yeah. What, I mean, how does that, how does that work for you guys? Oh, easy. We, we, we have sex. <laughs> if that's what you're worried about, like gay men can still have sex, and we have all the right parts. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I guess I guess the the issue and and the person who asked, you know, was just I think it was more along the lines of, well, if you're, and it sounds like you're not, you don't necessarily identify as gay per se, um, right? So I it's think a loose it was more, term. Yeah, more of you. You sound more almost as though you are some form of bisexual or closer to bisexual than probably. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, well, let me let me ask you. Do you feel like because we had a conversation about this when we first started Mm -hmm. talking? Was you said I feel like I'm somewhere in between bisexual and gay? Yeah. Does does that does that mean that you I guess physically are more attracted to men than women? emotionally yes. more attracted to women than men yes yes that's why it's hard it's kind of all over the place uh, what i will say to that listener uh thank you for that question by the way listener um it's a good one but uh i i know a lot of gay men who are married to straight women and you know what we have a lot to offer we mm-hmm. companionship uh, uh being a great husband and being there for our wives being great fathers and providers like we have so much to offer and i will say this i've talked to a lot of straight men married to straight women and they're having problems with their relationship and they don't have sex i know mm-hmm. a lot of straight couples who are in sexless sexless marriages so just because you know 
you you're a gay man that doesn't mean you're doomed to have a sexless sexless marriage it just means that you just have to navigate that you know mm -hmm. it, it takes communication it takes two people talking about it working uh, through that um I know some gay guys that just can't even stand the thought of a woman and that's that's not me that's not who I am I I do very much enjoy physical intimacy with my wife so I'm able to navigate that just fine oh okay so um you mentioned also that it, you know it was rocky are you saying it was rocky for a while because you were still dealing with same gender attraction and it was coming pretty hard yeah, I still had a lot of PTSD from my first marriage, a lot of insecurities, a lot of fear for the future, wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, go down the same paths, make some of the same bad mistakes and just, you know, ruin this this person's life uh, again, go through another divorce mm -hmm. again. I was I had all those fears, um, but those have since subsided. So 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 kind of a, a fear of relapse it sounds like more than anything. Oh, absolutely, because I, 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 being somebody, a self-aware porn addict, I will forever be a, a porn addict. That's just how I have an addictive personality. I've used pornography as a method to uh, mitigate and, and, you know, relieve my stress and anxiety. That's just what I've done. Um, and if I don't keep that in check, it can spiral out of control, and I don't want to do that. So I, yeah. I kind of like an alcoholic, like... You just accept that that's who you are, and yeah. uh, you work every day to to be on top of it. You know, this just came to me, and I wanted to ask. I think this is a good point to ask this. If you could sit down in a non, I guess a non um, volatile conversation with your ex wife, um, to just say anything you could have could say to maybe heal both of you from that PTSD that I'm sure you both have. Mm -hmm. What would you, what would you say? <laughs> That's a, a very, very poignant question. Um, it would just be that, you know, I, I don't blame you for what you did. You, you had to do what you felt was right at the time with the, the knowledge that you had and you had every right to do what you did. Like it, it, it is what it is. Um, I've already apologized a million times, but what I really want to say is, hey, let, let's acknowledge that there was, that we had a, a real relationship, that there was love there, and, and, but that there was also hurt there, and, and it sucked for both of us, and let's, let's move on from that, and let's do, do our best by doing the best for our children, uh, and focus our, our healing by, by doing good things for them. Because uh, right now, we don't have a, a healthy co-parenting relationship at all. We don't talk. Mm. We don't... I mean, I, I we, we now have court-ordered co-parenting therapy. I, I mean, mm. I, I've had a very recent court appearance where she has tried to take the children away from me again. Mm. So there's clearly some unresolved feelings there or else why would she come after me like that you know what i mean mm -hmm. um 
So unfortunately, we is, we is have a, you, a long well, ways so, to go. Let me let me stop you right there. What do you think it is? You think it's unresolved trauma from the betrayal, or do you think oh. it's uh, you think mm -hmm. that's what it is? Okay. I think it's that mixed with homophobia, like not really understanding who I am. And I think that she she has a snapshot of who I am six years ago. That the 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 evil version of me in her mind has just kind of festered and you know turned into this ugly horrible thing and and the thing is i'm just not that person anymore um plain and simple yeah. you know and she hasn't she's not around me anymore she doesn't see me every day she doesn't talk to me she doesn't see the growth and the um introspection that i've done as a human being and so in her mind, I'm still this villain. I'm still this enemy. I'm still this negative, you know, antagonist that needs to be quelled, squashed, removed, because heaven forbid our kids are going to grow up around a gay dad and they're going to turn out just like him and or who knows what's going through her, her mind, you know? Mm. <laughs> and, and are those the subjects of the, um, are those the subjects of these trying to take the kids away are they is it have to do with your sexuality most of the time well she'll never outright say it because it'll look bad in court but it comes out in other ways like well you you showed the kids a, a, a pg-13 movie and that wasn't appropriate and so therefore we need to take the children away from you i'm like really <laughs> It's yeah. like we watched avengers it's like okay yeah. um so she's just She's she's taking the moral high ground of well we don't do that and mm -hmm. and using it in court as a means to show that I'm this incapable incompetent parent and it's mm -hmm. just it's laughable and thankfully thank God our judge saw through the ruse and dismissed their case completely and says I'm not going to take away father's time with the children uh in fact i'm gonna co order co-parenting therapy is what i reckon and they actually most recently tried to get a psyche valve on me uh mm -hmm. and they were willing to submit to one too but if you and if you don't know that they're very expensive thousands of dollars to do that um and i just told the judge i'm like your honor this is a step in the wrong direction it's like mm -hmm. we just need co-parenting therapy we just need to sit down in a room and get through our shit is what we need to do um, but she's just unwilling to do that. And the, it's, 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 it's just unbelievable. <laughs> so why, you know, I, I, this just came to me. Why, if that's what she wants, why not just do it? Is it the expense? Like, why not just do that? Okay, let's do a spike test. Let's, and let's see what yours says. <laughs> you know? Again, I've been asking myself that all these years, and the only thing I can take, the only thing I can come to the conclusion is she has these uh, betrayal traumas that you were mentioning, and homophobia. Those are the only two things that I can think of. No, 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 no. What I, what I mean is, is why not just take the psych test? Be like, okay, yeah, we'll do it, and then it'll show I'm not crazy, and then. Oh, because it's expensive. It's thousands oh, of dollars. Oh, it's, it's the it's the finances. Got oh it. no no yeah, I'm not paying for that. No way. I've got. I'd yeah. rather get my kids into soccer or t-ball. But I'd rather spend it on my kids. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So, um, if you now your your relationship now, um, so you find your marriage. Now you've been married for how long? 
Oh, goodness. Uh, going on four years with my second wife. Okay. So you're married for four years. You find this relationship to be fulfilling? Makes you happy, yeah. it sounds like. Oh, my gosh. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. And you are now back into full fellowship with the church, right? Oh, yeah. I love the church. Yeah. yeah. We're very so, active, um, both it, of us. Do you... Um, so... I mean, it sounds like where you're at now sounds like you're happy. Oh, absolutely. I actually, this past Sunday, I, I I had the opportunity to stand in front of the congregation and share my testimony. And I just talked about gratitude. That was what was in my heart. I just felt so grateful for everything that's happened to me. And, and the question that you should have asked, but you didn't ask this, mm. is do you reg- do you wish you can go back in time and change anything? And I'd give you a big fat hell no. <laughs> because I needed to go through all this stuff to be where I am today. And I've just learned that some of us learn in this life through our own experience, and sometimes we learn through other people's experience. Like if we see somebody go get drunk and get into a horrible car accident, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Like we can learn from that. And sometimes we're the kind of people that we have to experience something horrible ourselves to learn. Um, And unfortunately, I'm the type that I have to experience myself to learn the lesson. (laughs) So so with that, then, if there's somebody listening to this, and I I think this doesn't even have to be necessarily with someone who's lgbtq that's a certain flavor of it Mm -hmm. there well well let's let's break it down let's ask a few things what would you say to somebody who um is currently in that dark place um and struggling uh with divorce Okay, great question. That's a perfect segue. Uh, Something you don't know about me is I turned my pain into service. And I started a support group called Brave Dad Now. And it is a men's divorce support group that I ran for a few years uh, while I was going through my healing um, because I wanted to reach out to other dads who were going through divorce and say, hey, it's okay. Um, and that group got pretty large, almost 20, 20 dads on a weekly basis. And then COVID hit, and then it went poof. <laughs> it went mm-hmm. bye-bye. Um, and uh, I'm actually starting it up again uh, in May. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to give a little plug to all your listeners. So on May 9th at 6.30 p.m. at the Sean Davis Therapy Group, we're going to be doing our kickoff lunch meeting for our uh, for the Brave Dad Now um, organ, uh, support group, and we it's going to be once a month, and we're going to invite all men and dads, 18 and older, uh, to come and check it out if you are wanting to support or get support, and uh, we're going to be having some guest speakers, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. And Sean yeah. is a good guy. I really like Sean a lot. Sean Davis Sh- is a... Oh, Sean's guy. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sean Davis a, is great. Yeah, he's a um, good dude. Um, so, uh, so, so that's what I did. I, as I, I started that group because I wanted to reach out to other people because nobody reached out to me. So what do you do? Like kind of what we were saying earlier, if there is no box, you create a box. So that's what yeah. I did. I started that group. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, uh, for somebody in that, you know, if, if you have somebody's friend who's talking to you and says, Hey John, listen, I'm really in a dark place and I don't really know what to do. What would be your advice to him? Great question. I would say, first of all, breathe. Just breathe. 
Okay. Second thing I would do is if I'm if I'm physically right there with you, I'd say bring it in, brother. And give you a big hug. At least 10 seconds or it doesn't count. Okay. Not because I'm gay, because I have a big heart. Okay. I'm huggy. I'm a really huggy person. Um, and then after we hug it out, I'm going to look you straight in the eyes. I'm going to say to you that you are worth it. You have worth, you have value, and your life has meaning, and you're here for a reason. And I want you to stick around. Let's figure out a plan together to get you through this is what I would kind of start off. Um, and then I would kind of ask some probing questions like, okay, so where, where are you at with everything? Is this, are you already been divorced? Are you thinking about divorce? Are you like in the dark place right now? Where are you at? Uh, and then for some guys, they're mental, emotional. That's not a big deal. Some other guys, they need the hug it out method. Uh, some guys are kind of more like, hey, what am I doing from a legal standpoint? And I always preface it saying, hey, I'm not an attorney, but here's what I did. Um, but you should probably seek some legal help or they have, might have some financial questions about child support. So I, I kind of ask those probing questions to kind of gauge what their needs are because every guy's a little bit different. Mm, okay. And then how about um, what would you say to somebody who's really struggling with porn addiction? I would say take, remove the shame and the guilt because we are so afraid of what people think about us. We're so afraid of that guilt and that shame. Um, and once you remove that guilt and shame, it no longer controls you. And you know what's interesting? I honestly don't even really look at it very much. Once in a great while, like maybe if I have a super stressful day, and I'm just really just feeling down and I just like, oh, okay, fine. Let's just get it over with. Um, but, uh, but I would say there are so many people who are just so, have so much fear, guilt, shame. You know, what is my church going to think? What is my spouse going to think? What are people going to think? I'm like, guess what? We all statistically do it or we all look at it or if we're not looking for it, it'll come find us. Um, so it's just part of it. So just... You know, it is what it is. Um, if it's getting to a point where your life is being controlled by it, like you can't function throughout the day without needing it, then you probably should go talk to a specialist or go join a support group. Is what I'd say. But if it's just something that's like, if it's something that's ever like once in a blue moon, I think you're okay. You're you're, you're gonna you're still you're still a good person. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means it's. It's there, and uh, just do your best. <laughs> do you think, sense. though, if you're – so how do you navigate that? Because, like, here, here's what I mean by that. Uh, you know, I, I have I have a lot of addicts in my family. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, my dad is a, is, is a recovering drug addict and has been clean for 25 years. Oh, congratulations. And, and, yeah, and I got to say, like, it's and I've said deal. it on numerous podcasts before, he's a completely different person now than he was – then and i just applaud him it's, it's a huge success story but yeah i don't think if i if i were talking to him and he, he was going to talk about addiction he'd be like hey you know if you if you snort cocaine once in a blue moon it's not that big a deal you know so what, <laughs> what do you think what like do you think like in in uh in a porn addiction situation like if someone is doing that would you encourage them to continue to be completely abstinent are you saying i guess what i'm saying is when you are you saying get the shame and the guilt out of it because that just is self-loathing you're working mm -hmm. on it it's over I explain yeah. more i guess is what i'm asking yeah let's let's dive into that okay so this is this is true for me this might not mm -hmm. be true for everyone but because i've opened the can of worms of being unfaithful 
That is a very real possibility to me. I could go grab my phone and just go download one of those apps and just go find some someone and go hook up with them. I could do that. And I, I, I understand that that's because that has been part of my past. Those those scars will always be there. And I, I'm not going to ever say like, oh, well, I'm active in the church and uh, I will never do that again. It's like, no, I, I'm I'm a weak person. I'm a, uh, that's I'm susceptible to that. So for me, pornography, if I'm getting those temptations, pornography is the lesser of two evils. So that's kind of the rationalization I use in my brain. I'm like, okay, well, pornography is the lesser of two evils. So let's just go with that. <laughs> so so, so if, I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, then what you're saying is for you, you use pornography as a buffer uh, so you don't cheat. Yeah, I think that's, okay. yeah, that's okay. a very simple way to look at it. Yeah. And okay. I know there's a lot of people out there listening. I'm like, whoa, why would you do that? And I'm just like, well, you're not me. So, <laughs> okay. you know, that, okay. that's that's my life. And that's how I, I choose to live it. And, you know, you can guilt and shame me all you want. Like, how could you look at pornography? But I was like, you know what? There are way worse things I could be doing. Way, 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 way terrible things that people could be doing out there. So I'm like, in the long grand scheme of things, I'm like, it's not that bad. <laughs> so what is, do your wife, you sound like you're very open with your wife. Um, how does she handle that? Like if do you tell her, hey, you know, by the way, I looked at porn today and, you know, I'm at, you know I shouldn't do that. Or, hey, how does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. She knows about it. I just don't bring it up. It's like, mm. wh why? Why talk about mm. that? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think, I think as um, spouses, it's okay to have our little secrets. And I'm going to explain why. Okay. Mm -hmm. So just hang on, hang on to your, hang on to your hats. So when I was uh, with my first wife, she came to me and said, well, I want to know everything. And I was like, everything? And she's like, yes, everything. I'm like, okay. Like, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. I'm like, all right, you asked for it. And so blah, it came out. And it was that like that classic line, well, you can't handle the truth. Well, that that's kind of what happened in this situation. It was too much truth all at once, uh, like opened up the fire hose. And so I think it's okay to kind of open up in little spurts. Maybe not necessarily lying, but you don't need to go and say everything. And because what what is going through your mind may not translate the way you want it to other people. They may perceive it differently than how you intended it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think it's okay to kind of keep thoughts and secrets to yourself. <laughs> Just let it well, stay there. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I think it I think it depends, right? And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is is that like. So when I'm when I, I, I'm a I'm an attorney, right? We my clients right. get deposed. I depose other clients, and every mm -hmm. every attorney who's got a client that's been deposed, they they tell them the same thing. Look, answer the question. Don't volunteer, right? Yeah. And so, but I I think the just to clarify, are you saying like, listen, if you're asked a direct question, you're going to answer the question. Yes. But you're not necessarily volunteering information that you think is going to be harmful. Correct. That's a great yeah. way. Spoken like a true lawyer. I love it. Um, <laughs> right. I'm sure. That's like, why they pay uh, me the big bucks here at the, the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah, exactly. And so, like, if if I'm walking down the street and I see a guy that's attractive, I'm not going to say anything to my wife. Why? Because I care about her feelings. And that little thought doesn't need to be in her brain. Like, why would I say that to her? To make her feel bad? Like, no, I'm not going to say that. So, I, oh, so I sure. feel like... And, 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 that's, and that makes sense, right? I mean, I think anybody gay or straight, I mean, like, yeah, you're not going to be <laughs> every, every woman looking at your significant other and being like, oh, she's hot. Yeah, hotter, exactly. hotter than you, hotter than you. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. You know, they're not going to say that. But, but I guess what I'm saying, it sounds like what you're saying is, is look, if you're if you're asked a question, you're not going to hide the information. You're just not going to volunteer information that doesn't serve a purpose. Correct. Exactly. If if my wife wants truly wants to know something, I will tell her. And we do have that trust and communication in our relationship, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but I, like I said, I don't go around saying, oh yeah, I looked at porn today. That's not. It's just mm. not mm. why why tell why tell her that <laughs> right, right. Okay. you know so um do you think if she had heard like i mean well she may hear this podcast when she probably will like is that mm. going to be a surprise to her if she hears that she's going to be like whoa he's looked at porn i'm you know it's not like your first wife where she's like how did you, you betray oh, me yeah, and I, all that yeah so that is um the a night and day difference where uh I could talk about my issues with my second wife in a way I never could with my first. Hmm. Um, and she, she created a safe space where I could open up. So that, that was, that was huge for me. Yeah. Do you think if, if you're in your first marriage, had you just come out at the very beginning and said, Hey, listen, I'm dealing with the same gender attraction stuff. And it's something that I've dealt with for a long time. Do you think that that, well, one, would you have just never been married at that point? Or two, do you think it would have opened up a better communication line when you did get married? It would have, yeah, great question. I would say it would have never worked out. She would have never married me. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been a deal breaker from the beginning. But uh, we were we were doomed, doomed from the beginning because we weren't compatible. We weren't, we weren't compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, we okay. we never should have got married, but mm. you well, live you but learn. You got, but you got your two kids from it. So. I did. I I got two beautiful kids out of it, and I don't regret it. I do mm. not regret it because, like I said, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I, I I did get two beautiful children out of that relationship, so it wasn't like a total failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um. Uh. So now, what what would be your message to somebody? Who is, um, what would be your message to somebody who's coming back to church? What would you tell them? Ah, that's a great question. (sighs) Is this somebody who earnestly wants to come back to church or maybe kind of thinking about it or, or is like still kind of hurt by the church? Well, I think really I'm, I'm looking at somebody who's a little on the fringe. They're kind of, they're kind of wanting to come back um and uh you know has it has a desire but you know maybe has some hurt or he doesn't really know how to start yeah that's a great question um i think that there is a lot of value going to church and i 
I think it's something that everyone should strive for. Uh, even if they've had past hurt, if they don't feel like they fit the norm or they kind of feel like an outsider in any way, um, go because you want to go and because you love God. And don't do it because of anybody else. That, that will change your motivation sincerely. Because if, if you go to church thinking, well, the church... Nobody came out to me, and, and, and nobody did this for me, and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Don't, don't even go for anyone else. Go for you, and, and go because you love God. And if you, if you make God your motivation, it'll change everything. Um, the, the, your relationship with God is number one, and the church is just there to support that relationship. Once you get that through your head and understand that, then you can be more forgiving towards the church. Like, if there's a policy you don't uh, agree with, or somebody said something or did something uh, that offended you or whatever, that's fine. The church isn't perfect. We all know that. And we have a rocky history. Guess what? It doesn't matter because again, the church supports your relationship with the big guy upstairs. Heavenly father and Jesus Christ are your number one. Um, so keep that in mind as you're coming back to church. And, uh, I would say instead of try to shift your focus, Instead of saying, well, what can I get out of church? Maybe maybe you could shift your focus of what can I give to those who attend church? How can, I, how can I love other people? How can I serve other people? Because there's a magical thing that happens. Once you start to help other human beings, you start to forget your own problems. And you start to, to heal. Um, so I would try and shift your mindsets. It's, it's not the act of going to church, physically going to a, a building isn't going to spiritually change you. It's, it's, a, it's more about your intention and where your, your heart and your mind is. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You know, it's, I often tell people when they ask me, especially people who have struggled with church, um, I say, you know, my testimony isn't connected to the bishop or the stake president or the elders quorum president. It's connected to God. And, you know, that's what the most important thing. So, so John, you know, I've, I've really appreciated We've been going now for over two hours and we started real <laughs> late and you had some scheduling conflicts. And so I'm like, well, let's, let's do it. Let's get it done. And we're, it's getting late, but I, I want to ask you a few questions. I ask everybody okay. and just see what your answers are. First, first question uh, what would you say is your biggest success in life? Oh, hands down, my my wife and children. Mm. That is, yeah. that is my biggest success. Uh, yeah. I I brought beautiful children into this world, and I and I got to choose a stepson, and like I could screw up everything in this life, but if if I can raise successful human beings, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then what would you say um, is your biggest failure, and what did you learn from it? I think we know mm. where you're going here. Well, clearly, I failed my first marriage. That's kind of a given. Um, <laughs> but but I think if I really dig deep, uh, I would say that it's not just the marriage. Is I failed myself. And what I mean by that is I failed to, to get to know who, who I was and mm. to, 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 be, to fearlessly accept who I am um, and to not live a life of fear. Mm. Uh, if, I, if I would have really taken the time to understand who I was 
and to really know who I am and love myself, yeah, I think I think uh, I I would have come out a lot earlier. I would have, you know, accepted that part of myself, and uh, yeah, my life would have looked differently. Um, so I think my biggest failure was to to really understand and, and love and accept who who I was. Before I ask my last question, there's one other question that came through that. Um that I wanted to ask you, which I thought was really interesting and thought provoking. Mm -hmm. So I want you to assume that the church came out and announced that, um, that gay people can now get married and be members of the church. Civilly or in the temple? In the temple. Would that have, would that change anything for you about where you are in your, where you are in your life now? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'll be like, damn, like, wow, <laughs> that's like a big I deal. Think, I think um, we all would. I think, I think we all would. It was a hypothetical that was posed and yeah. I thought it was interesting. So, but I think I know where you're getting at with this question. So, um, so the, the question is like the possibility of maybe me um, being married to a man in the temple and, and kind of that, that, that whole scenario. I, I have chosen my path. I have chosen my wife. She is my forever person. And gay or straight, man or woman, if you find somebody in this world that truly loves you, that's something worth fighting for. That's something worth holding on to. And because my wife truly loves me for who I am, you better believe I'm going to hold on to that and fight for that. And even if I see, like, you know, Zach Efron coming my way, shirt off, and he's like, hey, let's go, I'd be like, nice try, not today, Satan. No. <laughs> because I've made a commitment to my wife. She's my one and only. She's my forever. Uh, and, and you know, we're, we got sealed in the temple. And, and because I've made a commitment to my wife, she's my one and only. She's my forever. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we got sealed in the temple. And, and... Sorry about that. I'm back. Okay. okay. So All right. we'll, I'll, do a, I'll do a little cutting here to make sure to get some of that dead air that just happened off of the thing. But um, I, I got the rest of your answer right before it froze. So I appreciate you, your answer there. The, uh, the last question I have, and by the way, I, I got to say, you are 100% right on that. When it comes to, if you can find somebody in this world who cares about you and loves you and loves you for who you really are, you got to hang on to that person and be faithful to that person. And, you know, and, and that's, that's huge. So, um, the last question is this, you know, I, I ask everybody the same thing and that is that one day you're going to pass away. We hope it's decades down the road. You're going to pass mm -hmm. away. Yeah. And when you do, you know, there's going to be a funeral and a eulogy. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing that you hope someone says in your eulogy? Hmm. Oh man, that, that that's that's easy. That John lived his life in a way that uh, that he was uh, true and honorable to his convictions, and that he 
exemplified those convictions by the way he treated others, just loved other people. And yeah. I think that's something deep down we all kind of strive for, is that we're, we're remembered in a positive way. Yeah. Well, John, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. Like I said, I mean, um, you uh, it, it takes a lot to come on a podcast with somebody and, and share a story, especially one to an audience that is probably going to have a lot of different thoughts about what you Whew. had to say. Oh, and, I know. I'm going to ruffle some feathers. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. You know, um, everybody has uh, a view of what is supposed to happen and what it's supposed to look like and what life is supposed to look like. And sometimes, unfortunately, life does not go the way that you expect. It certainly didn't go the way you had hoped and expected when you first got married the first time. Definitely didn't go the way your ex-wife had hoped it would go. Your now wife had a first marriage that didn't go the way they expected she expected it to. And now you it sounds like the two of you are doing incredibly well together. And you're 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 raising this blended family. I think in in some ways, you know, there are things that people are going to come away from this podcast and they're going to think I disagree with a lot of some things that John said. And I think there are some things that are beautiful and there's probably going to be somebody out there who's dealing with similar issues to you who's going to find this a breath of fresh air. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I don't think, I, I don't think members of the church who aren't experiencing this understand. It is really hard to sit in those pews when your family does not look like the rest of them and hear people say the things that they're saying that they should be saying that they, that, you know, that they, they should be saying and are good things to say. But when you don't have those things or you don't look that way, it's really hard to sit there and listen to. And so I think having someone like you come on and share your experience is only going to help a bunch uh, help those people. You know, I, I shared, <clears throat> I shared with you, at the beginning, you know, there's going to be there's going to be people out there who who are going to listen to this and be like, I disagree with this or I disagree with that. Or and the thing is, is that like, in fact, I, I'll tell you, I had a conversation with somebody in the church who we were talking about some of these things. And they said, uh, I think I think generally people in the church are fine. And I go, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that the majority of them are doing fine. But Jesus didn't talk about that. He talked about leaving the 99 and finding the one. And I bet in every congregation there is more than one that is struggling with one or more of the issues that you've gone through, things that I've gone through. And um, hopefully listening to this is going to help that person. Yep, that's why I, I, I'm outspoken. That's why I'm not afraid to talk about it. Because, like you said, there could be that one person out there that listens to us, and it could be a breath of fresh air to them. I hope so. I hope so. I hope that people came away and they learned a little something. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of comments and messages and... I have on every podcast, John, just so you know. So it's not. How big is your audience? Holy cow. Making me nervous. (laughs) Well, no, you know, you are my, you are probably my 27th, 28th interview. So it's not huge. It's still new, 
but I do get, uh, I do have some loyal listeners who talk to me after every podcast and, Sweet. and, uh, they, they share their experiences and, um, most of them are good and positive, but I, but I, I think that it's important that we hear that not everybody is on this same spiritual plane or journey. And I'm grateful that you came on and shared yours because it's, it's not something that a lot of people experience, but there are people out there who are experiencing and are trying to navigate it. And so where can someone, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah, that's a great question. I am all over social media. Um, I would say if you guys want to reach out to me, you can find me on um, Instagram and just uh, hit me up on uh, just search Brave Dad now on Instagram. Send me a DM. Okay, all one word. Brave, Brave Dad now. Okay. Yep, just yep. Spelled exactly like it is. So okay, well, great. Well, John, it has been a pleasure. At this point, is where I say um, subscribe if you've made it this far into part two. Uh, of this. I uh, <laughs> um, subscribe. We're everywhere. We're on. We're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, everything, all, all the podcast stuff. So um, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Still, we got we got next week. If all willing, I got a I got a a middle school teacher slash punk rock lead singer slash luchador. Who's going to come on, uh, who also uh, fought brain cancer and does brain cancer fundraisers. Uh, it's 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 going to be a wild story, too. So we got all sorts of fun stuff coming up. So keep keep listening. And, and again, thanks, John. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, let, keep me informed on how Brave Dad now goes. So, I will. Thank you, Josh. So, all right. We'll see you guys later.